0: Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the uh, case may be. On this rotating globe, welcome to another edition, live tonight. God willing, and the creek don't rise and the infrastructure holds, you're on the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where we literally talk about anything. And tonight, we're going to be talking about primarily... What the amazing things that the uh, Odysseus spacecraft launched by Intuitive Machines, a private company there in Houston, Texas, for the first time in 52 years, an American spacecraft was landed softly. Well, uh, I I guess kind of on the moon's surface. Now, it wasn't a manned craft. It wasn't, you know, with astronauts. It wasn't Artemis. It was a precursor part of the NASA's so-called CLPS program, which is commercial lunar transport by NASA instead of building spacecraft and going to the moon in terms of science, in terms of environmental reconnaissance for Artemis. They are making private contracts with private corporations. They fly instruments. The corporation designs the spacecraft, builds the spacecraft, launches the spacecraft, operates the spacecraft, controls the spacecraft, and NASA basically downlinks data. At least that's the model. And on this mission, some very curious things happened, which we're going to go through this morning. We've got a very important special guest with us. We've got Nova Spivak. Uh, by the way, spelled with a K. Uh, we will we'll correct that um, because Nova has an actual experimental package on board this particular mission, which they goodnighted. Because of failing uh, sun, you know, the moon rotates every month. And so you get two weeks of light and two weeks of darkness. I remember that wonderful line by George Carlin, you know, the hippy-dippy weatherman. And he said something at one point, you know, well, there'll be darkness followed by light. On the moon, it's light followed by darkness. And then you wait two weeks and then you have light again. And um, the spacecraft was not designed to last a lunar night. None of the current crop of spacecraft seem to be designed to last a lunar night, even though half a century ago, 50 years ago, we had spacecraft like Surveyor that I joked to Homer Newell one day. I said, you're going to have to go up there and beat it to death with a stick because they couldn't get it to shut up. It kept every time the sun would rise, it would come back on the air. And it was tubes and printed circuits and mirrors, multiple you know, aluminized mirrors on on cases outside the frame of the spacecraft. Um, it was it was primitive. It was, as again, you know, I kind of like that overused line from Spock. It was the equivalent of stone, knives, and bearskins in the space age. And we nailed five out of seven. The roster of current missions going to the moon and successfully landing, meaning they ignite their retro rockets, they arc down smoothly, they flare before the landing, they touch down at less than a foot per second, and they sit there upright. Well, the last two missions, both the uh, Japanese government mission called SLIM and the U.S. private mission launched by intuitive machines called Odysseus, have landed in very peculiar ways. The SLIM mission literally turned upside down roll down a crater or whatever, but it's functioning. And the Odysseus spacecraft landed hard. You could see on the landing video, it actually break two of its landing struts of the six. It then gracefully in about two seconds, we're told, uh, kind of tilted over and is now standing at about a 30 degree angle to the uh, lunar surface. But all of the instruments on board Functioned, were functioning until uh, Odysseus was gently put to bed, the electronics carefully repaired so that when they send in a couple of weeks a wake-up call, um, it may respond. Because the Japanese mission, um, SLIM, in its peculiar configuration in Mare Nectaris, remember the Odysseus mission landed within 10 degrees of the lunar south pole, in an area called Malaparte A. Uh, Whenever you see uh, crater names with like A, B, C, those are the satellite craters around a big one, which is just named like Malaparte or Shoemaker or whatever. So uh, it's at the South Pole near within 10 degrees, which is about 180 miles. And it's seeing all kinds of astonishing things. One of the complications is that the imagery has been arranged so it's not easy for the layman, the lay person, to interpret what they're seeing. So I'm going to kind of take you through a little um, viewer's guide of what to reject and what to accept in the images uh, before we find out more detail from intuitive machines as to how they've designed their optics, because there is only one regular format camera on the spacecraft, as near as I can tell. There are several wide angle lenses ultra wide angle like a hundred and eighty degrees and the good news is there are commercial programs available on the internet where you take these circular images which are fisheye lens images kind of like the ones people used to put in their front yard sitting on a on a flamingo stand like a silver ball and then they would take pictures and you get the entire sky behind you and all that well those are called fisheye views or fisheye lenses There are programs which convert from the fisheye view to a normal view. And so when you do that and other people have done it, uh, this is where you get the stunning confirmation that whatever is above Odysseus at the South Pole of the moon is not supposed to be there. So we will delve into that uh, more very shortly. What I want to do is start with some news because I want to give some context. If you go to the other side of midnight.com that's our url and you want to click on tonight's banner which says very dramatically copperfield's disappearing moon and the odysseus lunar landing mystery with nova spivak and the et team for march 2nd this is saturday night march 2nd we'll refer to that a couple more times during the show click on that banner that will take you to the guest page and under that banner on the guest page, which is near the top, you will see a line which says Fast Links to Items. Click on my name. And that will take you to the section of radio with pictures where we have links and videos and imagery and all that kind of good stuff. So item number one, we are now in the fourth uh, month, fifth month, I forget. It's horrible of the war between Israel and Gaza, between Israel and the uh, Hamas terrorists running Gaza, there are two million people that are literally in a free fire zone who are now in danger not just of being bombed to death. Over 30,000 people have died. Most of them are civilians. Most of them are not Hamas, even a major fraction are not Hamas. They're just ordinary, innocent civilians being pummeled to death from the skies for no good reason. And we are supporting them, we the United States, we are supporting the Netanyahu government for no good reason. There has been discussion for decades of the so-called Israeli lobby on Capitol Hill. Well, I think you're seeing, you know, obvious evidence of an Israeli lobby which literally is permitting and, and condoning and conducive to genocide. There's no other way to describe what's going on in Gaza. It is the human condition. It is the penultimate reason why, unless something changes, unless the human race is brought directly into contact with information, that it's just a tiny speck in a huge populated universe where this kind of stuff is not permitted. It does not go on. In other words, reconnecting with our real ancient galactic history. And I know a lot of you are going to go, what? When you confirm with an obvious independent mission, with independent sets of cameras, that there's something phenomenal about the moon that is not part of the conventional model, you have to extrapolate the implications of that, which is we know almost nothing, not only about what's out there, but obviously about what's here in terms of our own history. So tonight, in an effort to bring some kind of sanity where we as a U.S. don't supply bombs to Israel on the one hand and send cargo planes dropping, you know, 38,000 meals, there are two million starving people in Gaza tonight, two million that the U.N. and a whole raft of non-governmental organizations, NGOs as they're called, are all assessing independently the starvation potential for Gaza is cataclysmic. It is, we're we're looking at potentially hundreds of thousands of children dying, millions of people dying, not of bombs, not of bullets, but of simple, crude, awful starvation. And we send 38,000 meals, you know, ready to eat for for a population of two million. We would need a hundred times those flights Every day, to just give every one of those people one meal per day, a very small meal. So the only thing I can see in the foreseeable future that can change this horrible equation is if there is acknowledgement that we are part of a much larger intelligent ecosystem that extends far beyond the earth, involves individuals, people, species, whatever, that we have no direct knowledge of. It's all being filtered through sources that are incredibly suspect. And the only thing that will allow us to figure out what our real connection is with these other folks is to find libraries on the moon that were put there by our great, great, great ancestors or potentially extraterrestrial species, all designed when we reach the appropriate technological level we go to the moon. We find these archives, and we finally figure out how we relate to the larger cosmic whole. Item number two: um, the Odyssey. It's like wanting to say Odyssey because NASA named two spacecraft so similarly from similar memes. The Odyssey spacecraft, or IM1, Intuitive Machine One, the company there in Houston that built it designed it built it and sent it and landed it and apparently 350 megabytes of data were sent back to earth Uh, some of it we're going to talk about tonight these astonishing incredibly astonishing images well in item number two given that the mission planners did not design odysseus to survive a lunar night um, they put it to bed with with a final picture sent to earth which is really amazing it shows a crescent earth to the left of the sun from a spacecraft hovering about 1500 feet above the lunar surface descending and is going to land much harder than they wanted to but they survived you know the old uh pilot's joke you know any landing that you can walk away from is a successful landing well they didn't stick to landing but it's there it's upright and on it is, is some amazing things that we're going to talk about very shortly I want you to all now go to number three because for the rest of the morning uh, we're going to talk about this as a backdrop if you click on number three this is a graphic uh, that i created a few hours ago on the left is a glittering glass computerized model based on the apollo 10 data and other nasa data i was analyzing back in the mid 1990s starting in 94. and in 1996 if you click on that, you'll see that I presented this potential lunar architecture and a whole bunch of lunar experts at a uh, uh, press club briefing at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., just uh, stone's throw from the White House. And what I've done now is on the left-hand side, I put one of our architectural models created by me and an architect named Bob Fiertek, uh, who was a young uh, Uh, architectural student in in uh, Connecticut and we worked on it together I brought him to the National Space Science Data Center as part of a team of like seven or eight people that we spent a couple days there looking at Apollo imagery and on the right hand side I put a close-up of the Sun shining on the Odysseus spacecraft at this uh, 1,500 foot altitude and you can see the incredible glass forward scattering geometric boxes, the crystalline glittering glass boxes that are in this area above the moon, between the moon and the sun. You can see them there, and they look identical geometrically to what the model was in 1996. So if science is nothing if it's not prediction, we have posted the data side by side, and it is now up to intuitive machines and NASA to explain why they're giving us this stunning data. But they're not saying a word about what's in the pictures. And before you instantly say, oh, it's just lens flare. No, it's not lens flare. And this morning, we'll go through in the next three hours why it's not lens flare. So before we get to anything else, I wanna bring in my friend and colleague, uh, Nova Spivak, who is the uh, prime mover uh, from the Arch Mission Foundation. To put archives on spacecraft leaving Earth, ever since the vereshit mission back in uh, uh, what was it, Nova 2018? was 2019. 2019. But you started it, you know. We you started, started? It long before yeah, that. Long yeah, long before that. Anyway, so Nova Vivac is probably the humanity's chief archivist, not to go and find archives by ETs on the moon, but to implant our own for both ETs someday or maybe our own descendants in the dim, dim, distant future, and the third time's a charm because there, there, you you tried for three. sheet was the first one. The archive is there. We know it's under the dirt. The second one, Peregrine, perished over the uh, South Pacific because that mission did not succeed because of technical issues, but the third time, it's sitting there. It's upright, kind of. It's going to be there forever, and the archive itself, now that you know it's upright and protected, probably i've seen estimates that it could last maybe a billion years or more nova talk to us about the success
1: well thanks um yeah we are we are very uh, happy that we finally did uh succeed at landing um as you said it did take several attempts um at great expense uh, both in labor and Money um, and you know, lots and lots of people working for you know over a decade to to do this. Um, we really have been working on this for more than 16 years. Um, our first mission was really with Elon Musk, uh, where we put oh, that's uh, right. The,
0: I, I yeah. how could I forget that? So one? Mm-hmm. that
1: was the Isaac Asimov Foundation trilogy in his Tesla Roadster glove compartment. Yep. In um, in quartz silica glass inside the glass so it's etched into the glass using a femtosecond laser um, and that's a 14 billion
0: year durability storage medium um, so that will probably last longer than the Tesla um, so it's, it's, Well it will it's, last when the sun expands to become a red giant right unless yeah. the roadster and the rocket it's attached to encounters Jupiter well there's no roadster or,
1: there's no rocket anymore it's just a it's just a piece of, it's just a piece of ballast they shot out into space
0: you mean the Roadster is by itself orbiting the sun. Yeah, they just shot it out there as a, you know. Okay, well, if it ever encounters Mars in the right direction, that will flip it into an even more elongated orbit. And then all it has to do is cross the orbit of Jupiter. And then at some point, Jupiter could eject it from the solar system. So by the time the sun dies in like five billion years, this little quartz crystalline set of disks you put in that glove compartment could be anywhere in the Milky Way galaxy, still yeah. surviving.
1: We, yeah, it could be, or it could be recovered and be you know, in some museum on No, some no, other no, planet. no, no, no,
0: you have to absolutely insist that not happen. <laughs> no, 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 do not let the Smithsonian people. No, no, get not on r- Earth. No, 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 I don't think so.
1: I think it might be recovered by, you know, aliens and put into their museum. Yes, comes, like,
0: oh, that's was, the whole so, idea. Yeah. You know, back when Carl and I and Eric started this cottage industry, um, you know, you know the story that Eric and I were visiting uh, JPL, and there was a, a pause in a, in, a, in a mission. It was it was Mariner Mariner Nine in 1972, which was supposed to go into orbit around Mars and give us the first close-up pictures. Well, they had this dust storm cover the entire planet, so we had a spacecraft orbiting Mars, but there's no way we could get any images. So The press people at NASA were very distressed that the press people would be bored and go away so they arranged little tours so they put a bunch of us on buses and shipped us down to TRW where we could look through the vacuum chamber at pioneer 10 which was sitting all crumped up with the the booms all kind of folded up like a praying mantis you know in, in in distress inside this glass port and Eric and I came down the metal stairs and we looked at each other and we said Good grief, this thing is going to go to Jupiter, make a left-hand turn and be ejected from the solar system. It should carry a message. And that was the beginning of this archive parade that you have now so brilliantly, you know, illuminated with millions of pages and in almost inviolable materials that will last, you know, I mean, the idea for humankind that we can create something that will last billions of years that's mind-boggling. So talk about who might find this thing and why you're so proud now that it's standing up right there on the moon. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we developed it to last for up to
1: billions of years.
0: Um, what we've been told
1: is that on the surface of the moon, um, there are micrometeorites that come at a certain angle. Um, and depending on where something is, um, it might be pulverized in 50 million years or it might not be. Um, And, you know, in our case, the lander uh, might protect us. It depends on the angle um, that the micrometeorites come at and, you know, relative to where we're positioned. But as we understand it, we're now um, sort of facing upwards. um, So essentially towards space and earth um, because the lander is on its side. Um, Had it been upright, um, it's not i 'm not sure you know exactly where where we would be facing. It would depend exactly its orientation, but we know that it's facing up now, and you know what we sent was um, sixteen layers of nanofiche, which is a type of nickel um, nanotechnology analog and digital storage media it 's very special patented technology um, containing you know uh, enormous amounts of of content including the wikipedia um, you know books, special data sets, curated archives art music film, all kinds of stuff um so it's a very comprehensive kind of view of civilization as we know it today and the history that we are aware of and Um, It also includes an index to all known languages and it has a primer in it that teaches um, about a million concepts using images that connect to um, five languages and then from there to all known languages. And so it's quite uh, carefully designed to teach um, what you need to know in order to understand it and even uh, to teach how to build a computer or or at least um, all the necessary encodings and decodings that you would need to recover digital data that's etched at the lower levels of the archive as well. So there's analog uh, images at nanoscale that you can see with a microscope, and then below them are actually digital layers. Anyway, um, it was designed um, for recipients in the distant future who might be similar to us. They might be our descendants. Um, They might be some other species that evolves here or visits from somewhere else um, in the distant future. Um, but we did this because there have been a lot of lost civilizations on Earth, as we all should probably be very well aware. Um, and we decided, well, we could probably end that uh, trend, um, at least this time, by making sure our civilization is never lost. Um, and what we know of previous civilizations as well would, would also never be lost. So um, using these technologies, we've created this indestructible, potentially billionaire durability um, archive. Um, that now is on the moon as our first real offsite backup
0: Uh Well, let me, let me stop you there, because to me, you succeeded with Beresheet. It doesn't matter that it's somewhere under the dirt. That's true. It, it's
1: That's there. True. It's just a little bit harder to find. Yeah, so, but you it'd,
0: it'd be, it'd be for you and me. Right. Like, but not for a sophisticated extraterrestrial civilization. That's
1: true. And, and in fact, the Sheet
0: location might be more,
1: um, well, I would say it has a beacon around it in that there's this sort of, debris crater that's mm. non-natural. You can see, you know, the LRO um, easily can image that. You can see there's this non-natural sort of blast zone where it's sort of shattered into a million pieces, um, which is not, you know, typical of what you see. <laughs> um, and so it's actually in some ways easier to spot from a distance than, um, you know, the the uh, intuitive machines location, which on, in the LRO is you know, like a tiny little, like a grain of sand sitting on top of the moon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. Um, it's So we think of the Lunar Library, you know, as this 30 million plus page library that, that has stacks in two locations. Um, you know, we've got sort of the North no building. No single point yeah.
0: failure. <laughs> right.
1: We've got the North sort of Northern area and the Southern Are area. Are you going
0: to have one on Viper on, on the Griffin mission that NASA wants to send Looking at volatiles of the pole toward the end of the year. We do have um, some small
1: ones on some other missions, which I can't announce yet. But they are not really our missions; we're being carried by some other people. Um, But it won't be the whole library.
0: Well, you were on Peregrine, which was Astrobiotic out of Pittsburgh. That's right. Their second big mission, Viper, which has been postponed at least once because of technical. So
1: we we probably will fly again with them. um, But their whole schedule is. Sort of being reshipped. well yeah, because
0: look at what happened to peregrine
1: yeah, they're doing some they're doing some analysis to try to make sure that doesn't happen again, um but you know what I could say is that um you know we're there in a couple of places, um you know, Peregrine coming back to the South pacific um we may very well also be somewhere in the South Pacific because <laughs> our yeah, our archive is essentially you know more durable than a black box um. Wouldn't melt. At you mean on, on,
0: on a normal aircraft?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. solid nickel. You know, it doesn't have any electronics in it. It's a solid nickel. Um, sealed with epoxy, bolted into a you know, the melting? Metal what's, the,
0: what's the melting point of nickel? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh,
1: I have to look it up. Um, let's see. Melting point of nickel. It's pretty high. We calculated that it wouldn't have melted. Yeah, it's
0: 2,651 degrees Fahrenheit. Um,
1: so it's pretty high. Um, well,
0: given that it was inside the spacecraft, right? Well, it was actually in the case of Beresheet. In the case no, of no, Beresheet, I, I mean Peregrine. Well, in, in the case of
1: Peregrine, yes, it was inside. Um, in the case in the case of Beresheet, it was just actually literally taped on with Kapton tape. Um, in the and in the case of Intuitive Machines, of course, it we was bolted on. So um, mm-hmm. we we believe that in the case of Beresheet, um, it was just thrown away from the debris field when it when it hit well because the impact actually, was essentially horizontal yeah and it wasn't really fastened to the lander other than with tape so it would have easily just been released when that happened
0: the world's the moon's worst frisbee yep exactly There's a frisbee <laughs> yeah.
1: and uh and so um in the case of um peregrine yes we were physically attached you know, you know bolted on
0: were you on inside. the outside or inside um actually, we were inside as I see recall. this is why it's important yeah. inside you were inside the melting you know uh, yeah, we were protected for some for quite a bit of the reentry so um, you would have emerged from the pieces at an altitude and a velocity where for nickel, the temperature would have been nothing, which means you're sitting at the bottom of the pacific there's a there's right. a arch mission foundation archive tonight no, off a, Indonesia was a, yeah. And that was a 60 million page library, by
1: the way. Oh, so somewhere in the South Pacific. So now you
0: buried my library. book under the South Pacific in, in mm-hmm. addition to putting it on the moon site. Right. <laughs>
1: yep. oh, yeah. So unfortunately, you had the misfortune of going on that tour long ago. And now here you are memorialized. for Here, here I am.
0: Yes. Yes. OK. Hey, we are basically at the bottom of the hour. Uh, can you hang around in a couple of three minutes? Yeah, Okay, good, good. Okay, let me see. I have to figure out something I'm going to be doing here. What was I going to be doing? Oh, that's what I was going to be doing. Okay, let me do that. My guest this morning, my first guest is Nova Spivak. We're talking about now three archives he successfully sent into time. One to the moon with Beresheet, two to the moon with Odysseus sitting kind of upright, and one in the bottom of the Earth's oceans off Australia and New Zealand, something like three miles down. You're on the other side of midnight. Talk about thinking big. We shall return.
2: The holds the folded faces to the floor, and every day the paperboy brings more. <laughs> and the town breaks open, many years too <laughs> And if i
3: the Other side of Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day.
0: And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the 2nd of March of 2024. We are successfully on the moon, again, this time kind of upright, with an archive which was spearheaded and designed to uh, by a team led by my colleague and friend, Novus Vivac, who is with us tonight. So you have other plans for other archives, but you can't quite talk about them yet, right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, some
1: some aren't announced yet, um, and some aren't finalized yet. Um, you know, we have there's several, you know, more missions going to the moon. Um, there's also some missions going to other points in the solar system. So I think, I think we've got the moon fairly well covered at the moment, um, and although we will send some other things there, uh, I think you know, it would probably be wise to put, put some things in other locations in the solar system <laughs> as well.
0: Yes, with little beacons so they can be found.
1: Right. Um, that's another interesting topic uh, for how to make them recoverable um, You know, in the blackness of space. Um, one, one way to do that is to put them in obvious places like Lagrange Point's, um, where someone might actually look because there's other stuff there, um, and also just because it's a logical place to store something.
0: Well, um, once you, it's kind of like Hotel California. Once you put something at one of the uh, two of the right Lagrange points, it will never leave. Right, right. And that's so, like L four and L five, not L one right. or two mm-hmm. or three. They they are unstable. But right. But four and five, you can put them there, and they'll be there. You know, it's like where do we park? Oh, the L five
1: point. Yes, we'll be
0: there exactly. In and that's probably. Years probably
1: a good place to look for other archives that might already be there too.
0: Do we know anybody who's actually doing that? No,
1: Um, it's been suggested, um, you know, people have thought that it's a a decent place to look. It might also be an interesting place to look for, you know, interesting geological things which were kicked up, you know, from previous comet impacts. I mean, there's a lot of junk that might have collected there that could be interesting to study, Um, but, you know, if I was going to leave a message... Um, that would definitely be a place I would want to put one. Mm. So it seems like a reasonable place to look for one. Mm.
0: Well, all right. That, that gets into some very complex celestial mechanics, which we don't have time to get to tonight. The one thing I wanted to bring up, now you I've sent you these pictures taken from orbit and during the landing by Odysseus. And your first question was, well, what am I looking at? Which is obviously very logical. Um, if you did, did you take a look at my number... Number three? Yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've seen all the images in the original
1: form as well as yours. Um, and the thing I don't really know the answer to is, you know, what do we know about the camera? Um, and, you know, what are we really looking at in terms of what is in frame and what is not really a photograph, right? There's well, the I am image. assuming
0: that these, these circles are basically a wide angle and the circle represents the horizon of the camera field of view. That's what
1: I think, but then then you see weird stuff.
0: Like you know, in one of the images, you see this you
1: know big kind of reddish circular lens flare around the sun, and it's 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 inside and outside that circle. So well, if it's out of the circle, what's it being? You know, are we saying the film is the film? The surface of the film is bigger
0: than the lens? It's possible. Well, it's a CCD right? chip. Oh, well, right, exactly. But
1: and that's the, what I'm
0: thinking we're looking at, and what we need to do GCD is the CCD see
1: more than the, the you know the 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 volume if, you know, of what's inside the lens. All we need
0: is for intuitive machines to point us to how the cameras work. You know, the right. On I mean, the that camera. would be it would be worth knowing because it's kind of weird. Yeah. Can you find this out? No.
1: Why I not? Mean, I think, you'd, well, you just have to see what they've published online. I don't have any access. to that I, I
0: have I have looked at that and it's almost nothing. There's no technical yeah. data. Fair. They're being very secretive technically, which is weird because it's not like but wasn't this was wasn't this just Eagle
1: camera or was it a different camera?
0: No, 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 no. The Eagle cam, which is uh, created by students at Embry-Riddle University is a separate ejectable module I see kind of like so then
1: so this fisheye thing we really don't know what there are
0: several fisheye cameras on Odysseus body Mm -hmm. sticking out of various angles there's also uh, an experiment from um, uh, Hawaii the International Lunar Observatory Association which it turns out was created by an old friend and colleague of mine Steve Durst I have sent Steve several emails I've left messages on his machine. He has not gotten back to me during the press of the mission. I was probably, I wasn't really surprised, but I'm hoping he'll get back to me in the coming days because he also had as part of their wide field imager, their plan was to photograph in wide field, the Milky Way from the surface of the moon to prove you literally can see and shoot stars if you design the right camera from the moon surface. That was a big you know point of contention during Apollo. But film is nowhere near as incredibly sensitive, nor does it have the latitude of modern CCD technology. So what's interesting is that their camera is reporting the same thing that the uh, Odysseus cameras are reporting. Um, And we know that's a wide-angle lens. And we know the, the, the size of the field of view, 186 degrees. And what you do is you put it through these programs that convert back to a normal framing camera where you basically have a rectangular frame and everything's inside and when you do that you see the material inside the circle which we're assuming is the edge of the lens shows stunning geometry above the moon at all altitudes six miles up being feet up and on the surface which I have in my radio with pictures I don't want to have to have you stay to, to look at that all night long you're on the east coast but if you If you want to think about something, from this data, it seems to me, as we predicted, the glass over the poles is significantly thicker and more visible and denser, more of it remains, than over the equatorial zone where Apollo landed. And so your archive sitting there in Odysseus, Nova, is not only going to last however long the guys who say the moon is a vacuum is is going to project, but it could last much, much longer because there's a glass dome overhead and it's going to keep the meteors from hitting you at the South Pole. So it could literally last till the end of life on Earth and the solar system.
2: Literally.
0: That's, that's, that's actually a good point.
1: Yeah. I mean, hopefully you're right. Um, I mean, it, 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 there's definitely some weird anomalies in these images. Um, but, you know, I, I, before I, I could really... Come to a conclusion. I'd I don't probably need want you to come. All this. I
0: need you to yeah. say is that it's fascinating. You want to know more, yeah. and then we'll work together behind the scenes to know more. And maybe by next weekend, we'll have some real answers, like the design of the cameras. I think they were purposely designed to be inscrutable by the ordinary person because it's part of a carefully controlled set of leaks. And I have a very good strategy for getting to the bottom of this, which we'll talk about later in the show. Uh before we let you go, I, I really hate to say those words. Before you let you go, uh any any, any final thoughts? Um well I you know I'm I, I, I'm interested to see, you know, what you figure
1: out as you as you gather more data about the cameras because there's 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 just things about these images that are weird, um in terms <laughs> of stuff that's inside and outside this what seems to be maybe the lens, but maybe it's not the lens. Maybe it's the dome itself. I mean, what are we really seeing on the, the, you know, this top part of the image where you actually can see like a horizontal reflection on the surface of that. It's, it's just weird. So, you know, I, I guess we have to, we have to know more. And also the pixelation of the sun, you know, how is that related to the CCD itself or is that, the dome or the glass or whatever you're, you know, hypothesizing is there,
0: you know, I, it would, it would definitely be good to know more about the, the. And by specs. next week, we're hoping we will, we'll, maybe I'll get a response from Durst.
1: You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I will,
0: now that the mission is kind of on hiatus for two weeks till the sun rises again. Right. Um, see, when I, when I looked at the LRO image from orbit, cause LRO was right Johnny on the spot. They got beautiful images from orbit showing the landscape before the landing and after the landing, and they've got, got a little blink thing going on there, so it, it goes back and forth. And I noticed the shadow immediately, and I said, wait a minute, that thing isn't lying down. It's almost standing straight up. And then we found from, from uh, IM during the press conferences that it's about a 30-degree angle. I mean, think of it as a really dramatic leaning tower of Malapert A. <laughs> <laughs> but you're yeah. on top. But you're under a right. glass dome, so you're going to last much longer than you or I should probably even care about. Hard to speculate, but yeah, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it lasts
1: a really long time. And of course, mm-hmm. we'll we'll send more in the future. Um, probably give it a little bit of time. Just, so there's a lot of updated information to send. Um, but the plan of the Ark Mission Foundation is is an ongoing distributed backup strategy. So. You know, you can look for more of these in the future and also on Earth as
0: well. Super. Okay. well, I'm going to let you good night because you're on the East Coast and you haven't had much sleep and there's too much partying and you succeeded. You now got two of them on the moon, one of them under the Pacific and more to come. Right. Yeah. Thanks a
1: lot. Super. uh, Great to see you guys. Talk soon.
0: Good night. Bye. Okay. before I bring on anybody else I want to give you some context if you look at my section of radio with pictures remember item number three is the comparison of the close-up inside the circle of the uh, uh, Odysseus imagery showing magnified Sun which of course I believe is geometrically showing the dome you know the Sun even in in in, in, in clear space with a wide-angle lens so the Sun doesn't look like that okay and then next to it you can see this incredible glittering glass refractive cubicle compartments in this arching dome which is much more complex than an inverted salad bowl so now you want to look at item number four number five and number six and you don't need to do it during the show but beginning back in 19 in in 2012 a poster named crow 777 began putting a series of videos taken through a telescope and a a tracking uh, mount and a very high-end digital camera, digital, excuse me, video camera. And he began posting a series of videos that frankly, when I looked at them, I said, oh, come on, it's got to be some kind of, you know, rude mistake. And I've now had what? It's 12, uh, 2024, that's 12 years. I've looked and I've looked and I've looked. The other images uh, six and seven are um, uh, other observers with other telescopes other cameras who have all now shot the same exact damn absurdly impossible thing there's something physically dynamically energetically going on around the moon and the first poster uh, crow seven 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 found it, and published this amazing video, which is my item number four, beginning back in 2012. What it shows emanating from one part of the moon. On the first videos, it was the poles. On later videos, it's other places on the moon. And you see it as a double pulse. Not only do you see a dramatic refraction of, of, a, of a line of light racing at thousands and thousands of miles per hour from one pole to the other, uh, which of course is half of the circumference of a sphere, 2000 plus miles in diameter. So you can calculate to the you know, foot per second how fast this stuff is moving and it's moving really, really, really fast. Thousands of miles per hour. It looks like, initially I thought to myself, wait a minute, that looks like an optical thingy. And then I look closer and I could see at the limb, which is the edge of the moon. Remember, that's where the dome, you can see it as a circumference all around the moon's round surface on a full moon image. The dome is just above the surface that you see. Well, in these videos, and again, pick any one and just start looking and looking and looking, you can see at the limb, at the edge of the moon, that this wave that travels from one pole to the other, twice, two waves, first one, then several seconds, then a second one. They're always in pairs, in twos. They race at this thousands of miles per hour from one pole to the other, from one pole to the typical pole, meaning the opposite part of the sphere. But at the edge of the moon, you can see them vertically, like you were looking horizontally at a horizon. And they are causing, whatever they are, are huge excursions, Miles of excursions and angles of something physical refracting light, which is the dome, all around the moon. You can see at the limb there's this physical shock wave because it's moving thousands of miles per hour, which is thousands of feet per second, and you could see it now on three separate occasions. Two uh, separate, uh, I'm sorry, four separate occasions. Three separate observers, uh, the original guy, Crow 77, and two others, and the crow stuff I posted, two <clears throat> excuse me, two separate versions of his analysis, which shows not only looking at the limb, but then straight down at the moon. And what you see is these waves pass the surface features underneath the waves literally optically move by tens of miles and then move back as the wave passes in other words even the original poster says it's like looking down through water he didn't get there yet he hasn't reached the idea that he's looking through a physical glass dome made of millions and millions and millions of separate panels all put together all hung together by some kind of connecting tissue cables or, you know, connectors or, or whatever that withstand the physical forces of a wave, which can literally move the dome up and down by tens of miles in a vertical. I mean, it looks like, you know, somebody could surf on it. If you went from Hawaii up to the moon, you could literally surf under the crest of the, of the wave. And it's astonishing. I'm going to put up a side-by-side comparison Showing the height showing all the measurements, but the fact that more than one person in the last twelve years has been videoing this stuff and posting it, just Google or DuckDuck or whatever, uh, lunar wave anomalies. and you'll see now dozens of amateur astronomers with video systems, high-end systems who all over the world have caught this stuff separately. No collusion, no collaboration, they're not you know doing this in a garage. It's really the moon, really video showing somebody testing, I believe, testing the energetic properties of the dome. So then you go to item number eight, all right? Um, And that is a composite, a two-image composite, showing on the left the rectified wide-angle image from Odysseus uh, pitching over 1,500 feet. And then on the right, there is a just enhanced color wise and contrast. And you can see the colors under this dome are identical to the wonderful colors that we saw from the Indian mission, uh, Chandrasar uh, number three, the lander from India, where they showed us very limited views of the surface, but you saw exactly the same kind of pastel colors, which of course are caused in this model by light refracted through the dome and when you get light through glass you get prismatic effects and when you blend the colors from a prism you get all these wonderful magentas and cyans and whatever so you don't get red green and blue you also get in addition the mixing of the colors and that's exactly what we're seeing on the left hand side of item number uh, eight And then you go to nine, and then you'll see a magnification to the left of the sun with the crescent earth there in the background. And then on the right is a magnified version of that. And look at all those tiers, not T-E-A-R-S, but T-I-E-R-S, meaning stacked layers. And notice that they are curving. On the left image, the wider angle image, and then the right close-up, you can see these tiers of geometry are curving, because when you use the algorithm to straighten out the wide angle view, you wind up correcting the geometric distortions of the surface and the sky, and so we can see the glass is arranged in levels, in decks, in tiers, and they are curved. Why are they curved? because it's called a catenary curve and it's under gravity if you take and give your favorite girlfriend or your wife a, a new pendant and it's on a, on a chain or whatever and she holds it out in front of her you'll see that the the weight the, the pendant causes the chain to follow a beautiful smooth curving arc called a catenary curve cables or Extended horizontal surfaces sagging under gravity cause this curve to occur. And the first thing I found back way, way back when, decades ago on Apollo 10 imagery, is stuff about nine miles above the moon, which seemed to be embedded in this glass grid, but it was sitting on a cable. So the cable was beautifully curving down and then up as a catenary curve indicating that what we were seeing on the image, on the photo, was not a scratch, which, of course, the critics said, all oh, that's just scratches. No, scratches don't know about gravity. They don't know about catenary curves. They don't know about necklaces with pendants that weigh down the chain on both sides of your, your fingers, so they cause a smooth, beautiful curve. We're seeing that in this structure above the moon, in the in the so-called dome, which I think now is constructed by a circus tent technology where you have certain distributed geometric points around the moon. Those are the tent poles. Those are the supports. And the dome is hung on cabling, which we can see in close-up imagery from Apollo 10, which, of course, I saw like you know, 20, 30 years ago, and used as part of my effort with Fertech to to create an optical model in the computer, very primitive computers back then, that would show us what we were seeing in terms of all the rectangular glass boxes that were hanging on these cables. So when a physical disturbance moves past them or through them, that's why you can get these extraordinary excursions of vertical, you know, height and the literal appearance of what looked like tsunami waves at the edge of the moon, at the limb when these waves are are passing double, double waves several seconds apart by different observers. And there's a physical displacement. Well, if the cables are made of something like carbon fiber composite, or buckyballs, or nanotubes, or graphene, any of these incredibly super strong carbon compounds that have now been created in the lab, you literally could create webbing a cabling that would hold up such a structure and any normal forces such as we're seeing in these videos could in fact be withstood by a strong but flexible architecture. Remember, that's why big trees don't come down in high winds. They bend back and forth because they are supple and they will move with the forces of the wind. If they didn't, they would snap. But by moving, you know, you basically can distribute forces and bo- remain below the force level that would destroy whatever, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about skyscrapers on Earth, some of them in the more advanced technological cultures like Earth and uh, like, like Japan and Los Angeles and I think even New York now have uh, buildings skyscrapers designed to move, to sway, to literally move back and forth on wheels so they do not try to resist an earthquake they go with the flow and therefore they survive well this dome this extraordinary arthur c Clarke third law level structure completely doming in the moon denser over the poles because of uh well i think andrew's going to try to tackle that one um you will see in his work that in fact physically uh from def- several different perspectives this thing, this structure is there. Item number 10, take a look at item number 10. On the left is a, a, another processing of the wide angle view that uh, the intelli- intelligence intuitive machine sent back as their last image from a, uh, a talking lander, kind of a farewell image because it has the crescent earth to the left of the strange geometric thingy that we think is the sun coming through the dome. But if you look on the right, I focused in on the reflection under the sun, and then below that, there's an even bigger enlargement. All that geometry is the glass in the dome, but the horizontal brilliant streaks are literally, as Greg thought last week when he was looking at an earlier image, it's the sun bouncing off angle of incidence equals angle of reflection, the horizontal ribbing the mega structure supporting all the other glass. And you can literally see it looking like waves coming on shore at Malibu from a gently descending or setting sun or moon, and and it's reflecting off the top of the ripples. Well, obviously, we're seeing ripples in this cable-supported structure that I've just outlined, and those are probably from these shock incidents that appear to be happening At irregular intervals and I have no idea what's behind them whether someone is doing it whether they're testing from earth the properties the energetic properties of the dome the so-called deep state or is it ancient technology which as uh, Andrew and I have discussed might be on a timer and now is the time when it's turning itself back on for whatever ancient purpose it was designed for like a hologram whatever is left however much material is left it could all be connected through infinite cabling you know a matrix of 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 mesh of wires so that even if part of it is still existing it will turn on it will light up and part of our discussion last week was was the synchronization of the David Copperfield uh, you know trick making the moon disappear was that part of a larger project behind the scenes to basically fiddle more with the dome and the fiddling would result in the moon disappearing, optically and you couldn't have that because that would raise too many questions so in this political model somebody said to uh copperfield hey you've made various things disappear over the years how do you like a real big one uh make the moon disappear we'll help you you just can't tell anybody how we're really doing it and at the end they'll just say david copperfield is really 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 amazing so I do not know the answer to that question. And when we come back, I'm going to bring Andrew on and the other members of our panel this morning, Holger and uh, Rogero, and I am forget, Ron is going to be with us. And we've even been joined tonight by Matthew Bailey. Matthew, of course, is our AI expert, colleague and friend, and we've done several shows. We're going to do another one, I think next Sunday, about this new lawsuit that Musk has taken out against ChatGPT. And Sam Altman, remember the huge soap opera there? They fired him. They paused. They thought. They rehired him. They kicked him upstairs. They got rid of the old board. They put a new. In other words, what's going on with Altman and Chat Chat JPT? Well, we don't know, but we're going to find out. So uh, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Touch that style.
4: on the side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device.
2: The other side of midnight
4: dot com,
0: and welcome back, everyone. On this Saturday night, here in the uh, second hour of The Other Side of Midnight for March 2nd, 2024. And the name of the show, just in case you kind of have forgotten where we are, the name of the show is The David Copperfield Mystery. Well, actually, that's not totally what it is. Let me get it up here so you can kind of play along with me. The name of tonight's show is David Copperfield's Disappearing Moon, and we'll be talking about this a bit further on with Andrew in a few moments, and the odious lunar landing mystery, because we have all these amazing images now absolutely showing exactly what since 1996 when I gave this presentation at the National Press Club I said was there. The model, the glass, the ray tracing, the angles, it's all there. And all we need to do now is to sort out, what are we seeing on these very weird pictures, which are like nothing else that has been published from space for decades? Normally when you send a camera to another planet, you'd probably like to have the images available in a format that most people can recognize. Well, I'm, I'm getting pushback, but I'm thinking that there are several different levels of the Intuitive Machines' Odysseus landing One of which, a kind of a stealth mission, was to take unequivocal images of the dome, send them back to Earth, get them widely publicized in a form that most people don't recognize right away, so you could get past whoever doesn't want us to know what's above the moon. So, Andrew Curry, are you there? Come on down. Yes, I am. <laughs>
5: Hi, Richard. Hi there. Here, good. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, now, yeah. Where do you want to, when do you want to dig in here?
5: Well, I want to do one thing before we go forward. I want to congratulate NOVA and the uh, Intuitive Machines team getting uh, the Odysseus probe onto the moon. And I know we now know through uh, reports that the machine is going to turn off. You should probably talk about that really briefly, Richard, that it's going to go to sleep in the cold.
0: Well, they already did that. That was Thursday. They turned it. They they put it in a mode where, if, if like the Japanese, they send a signal in two weeks when the sun's up again, it should answer. It should ping back. Because it's see everybody has got this misimpression that it's the cold that does in the electronics. No, it's the differential cold. If I can cool something down slowly, so every part of it doesn't contract and pull away solder joints and wires and, you know, little things on on circuit boards and all that, then it doesn't matter how cold it gets. If you warm it up formally at the end of the process and then not turn it on until it's warm enough to think it's normal, it should come back to life, which is exactly what the Japanese probe did. It came back to life. Given the state of the art, given that everybody's using the same engineering, I am very confident that Odysseus has not uh sent to earth its last image and that the next set of images from all those cameras they're going to be photographing the hell out of this dome from underneath because maybe they don't know it's there maybe they just lucked out and getting down through it and maybe they're going to use the next passes to confirm the bizarre anomalous too amazing to be believed data they're getting from the first passes maybe
5: yeah, and Richard, let's not forget Odysseus is protected by a goddess. That's Columbia. Got the logo right on the right on the probe. And remember that company developed some sort of—I uh, can't remember the details. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's a multi-layered
0: on- uh, Mylar-based fabric, which basically yeah. inhibits heat coming in, heat going out—that kind of thing.
5: Yeah, so there's lots of fail-safes there, so hopefully we we can see something come up. But what I really wanted to talk about really right off the bat, Richard, is um, one of your listeners, he's great. He listens to the show, probably is right now. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. (laughs) I won't mention his name. But he sort of, um, on the last show that I was on two weeks ago, uh, he said um, he's sort of bouncing some emails back at me back and forth. And we were talking about the Dome. And if you don't mind, I'd like I'd love to read just a, a, yeah, few, sure, a little sure. bit of the string. Okay, so uh, we were kind of going back and forth, and he's going, ah, it doesn't look too domey to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, so he said, uh, 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 here we go. We were talking about cameras. Actually, that's something I like to talk about later. So he sent me a really beautiful picture of the moon. He said, here you go, an 8-inch telescope. All you need is a telescope. Look carefully how clear – the surface is excellent evidence against glass, a glass dome. <laughs> Gorgeous picture, by the way. I, I should have posted. And then I said, sure. But as Richard has stated repeatedly on the show, this side of the moon has the least glass remnants left due to micrometeorite um, exposure. Then he came back and said, I don't know how that would actually work. The moon rotates so all parts of the moon can get clobbered. I have attached a picture of the dark side of the moon again. Not very domey. So I um, wanted to uh, put together a little graphic. And if we go to uh, my my show, show items under me, where am I? <laughs> I gotta get myself organized here. Uh, fast links to Andrew. And if we go to my number three, and Richard, I'm gonna let you take it from here. I call it the mechanics of a, of lunar erosion. And this is just for people, you know, who just can't fathom this and you know in their head. Like, well, how does this Work, right.
0: Um, so. OK, um, if you look at uh, Andrew's graphic, which is three, the top one is the moon and the fuzzy stuff you're seeing is a side facing the earth. Now, uh, item number two, figure B, is the moon with stuff built on it, uh, kind of above it, kind of this. Uh, you know, kind of impressionistic sketch version of structure, a dome above the moon we see. And then in item number three uh, on the same graphic, the moon is moving to the left. The meteorites, most of the micro stuff is basically determined by the orbit motion of the moon. So if the moon is moving left, the side on the left, the front in terms of orbit, should get most of the erosion the side on the back on the right side in number three, or figure C, should get uh, <clears throat> the least erosion. And at the poles, as you can see, if you if you draw those horizontal lines, as you get more and more to the pole, a surface which is 90 degrees to the incoming meteors, like they're coming down directly overhead, uh, if you're under the arrow on, on on figure C on the left, the meteors are coming straight down, but at the poles, They're coming sideways, which means they have to come through an awful lot of dome sideways, mass, material, knock it out of the way, destroy it, blow it it away, have it leave as shrapnel, as high-speed ejecta. So the poles and the side away from the orbit are going to be the most protected in this scenario. So by landing not at the equator where Apollo landed where the dome is now almost gone totally totally gone by landing at the poles or landing on the far side like the Chinese did you are in danger of encountering big globs of glass on your way down and we know with the Japanese they must have hit something because they knocked off an engine so they literally you can see it in the photographs lying next to the lander on their images descending and so they then landed too hard they rolled and they came to rest upside down. Fortunately, the electronics inside doesn't care. If an antenna happened to be aimed toward the Earth, that didn't care. And so they were able to get data for like uh, two or three days. In their geometry, they put it to bed, it came back on and the Japanese are interacting with their slim lander for a second lunar day. The same thing should probably happen to Odysseus, given again that the electronics are basically the same now here's where things get a little complicated if my scenario is correct andrew then all the material on the left-hand side of your schematic moon that should be basically whittled away right and yet i'm saying it's the side facing the earth right so how does that work because the moon is rotated From the time the dome was built till the time that we're looking at it now, the moon has rotated 90 degrees. So the side that we see is the side facing Earth. It used to be facing front. It was facing left. That's why 66 million years ago, when the fourth planet was destroyed, erupted, exploded, a la Tom Van Flanderen's work, and all this debris went careening across the entire solar system. So if you have an object, which is basically orbiting the earth, and you add its velocity orbiting the earth to the earth's velocity orbiting the sun, every time it's in that position uh, behind the earth with the sun on the other side, it's moving fastest relative to the meteor stream. So that side will be whittled away. And then a major impact occurred sometime later which rotated the moon 90 degrees so the side that used to be facing always the orbit front that's now facing earth so we're looking at a primeval relic of an ancient time when our side the near side was facing the left-hand side and therefore getting almost extinguished by erosion and that's why it's the thinnest why it's the safest to descend through why we've had more successful missions. And as explorers and new uh, robots have tried to land in other places because they don't know the dome is there, at least that's our assumption, they do not design for it and they hit a piece or their landing system, which is based on lasers, is so confused by the multiple glass reflections coming down through the dome, particularly at the poles or on the far side, that the odds of their succeeding is much, much less. And that's why 50% of all the modern landers have crashed. And the two most recent ones that are successful are kind of like, not really. You can walk away, you can keep your instruments going, but you'd never put that one in the history books for a successful three-point or six-point landing with nothing happening afterwards because something happened on the way down. Is that enough?
5: If the if the if the face of the the moon now is the least uh, well least glassed. Yep. You know it's like it's. it's, And we could have you know they keep saying I keep hearing it was another one of your listeners. He's great. He's also a Facebook friend, and he was really annoyed actually with. Oh, the uh, little production they had when Odysseus was landing. Um, he said, this is so disingenuous. It's like a big info commercial. And he said, Andrew, you got to watch this. So I started watching it because I didn't see it live. And um, Richard, it was almost like... And there was a play-by-play guy from the Intuitive Machines. And then over to you for an interview with this person. And, and it was like, okay, now... And it was a very strange production. And it, it just... I, it, it, it was it, like I, it, he's right. It had this sort of weird commercial broadcast feeling to it. And, and it, it just, it, I don't know. But that's, so that was one other piece. But, um, if these probes, like whether it's India, Japan, uh, the Americans now, if they wanted to be safe. Oh, yeah. That was my point. They keep saying, especially on that info commercial, how hard it is to land on the moon. You mentioned this earlier in the yes, show. Yeah. And and we heard this, well, I didn't hear it because I was, you know, really tiny, but when Kennedy said it, he said, you know, we do the things that are hard, you know, and it's like they're saying, they're they're repeating this. But that's when we didn't know how to do any of this stuff, and now
0: we've had half a century. Look at the technological progress in ocean liners in half a century from the height of the golden age in the 50s of people going to and from just Europe. Now we're on floating cities that are you know, a thousand feet long and several hundred feet high and nothing but cruise passengers. And they're not going anywhere. They're going on a place that's moving to another place because they want to be on the moving place. The same thing has happened with airliners. We've actually had supersonic transport, the Concorde from the time of the Wright brothers to the present. The moon technology for landing not only appears to have stood still, it appears to have gone backwards.
4: We're dumber. Well, and we're on...
0: stupider than this. And, of course, the yeah. critics say, well, that just means that the modern guys can't do it because the original guys didn't do it. They were lying to us. We never went to the moon. Another big lie. No, we know we went to the moon because all the images show the dome. And if we never went to the moon, how could NASA public fake images of a dome that doesn't exist because it never went? In other words, it's a circular logic that falls apart. no. The technology now compared to 50 years ago change the location change the you know environmental problems of a dome that's in much better condition over the poles or on the far side and I think that accounts easily for the 50% failure rate of the current crop of people trying to land on the moon
5: right which gets to my second point besides it's so hard um, is they are purposely testing those borderlines, those limits, that outer edge. They're not being safe. I mean, that that's pretty obvious now that they're tempting fate, and 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 somebody either they don't have the data to be able to negotiate around this 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 thing, this 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 dome, or somebody's putting them out there and baiting them that you figured out for yourself and you know because right richard if 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 we just landed in the safe well nothing safe but in in the more well in in the places that are tried and true like close to where apollo landed and these kinds of things so they are they are teasing the edges they're biting on they're nibbling on the edges and they're they're you know they're like like my son's little Russian dwarf hamster you know she skirls skirts in a he puts her out on ledges and i'm like what are you doing and but she has like this amazing balance right well i mean i wish she would stop doing that i didn't say that on air did i but but he's right there to hold her yes, but you, know, she's you right did. On, right, well she's right on the edge and he's right there with his with his hands but she's got this negotiating power to move very quickly along these these you know these narrow tracks so it feels to me like either they're being because I know that you could we could look at the Indian thing and say, "Well, you know we're looking for water because then we can find fuel and we can find you know living components to be able to build on the on the moon. I get it, but I don't believe every single probe is worried about looking for water. I mean from nova's description, it sounds like, hey, we're just trying to get there. It's like a hiking trip, we're just trying to get to the top of the mountain so yeah they're 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 jumping on on these edges, these spots where it's going to be more adventuresome whether they know it or not and this is the pattern we continue to see well that that's what i think
0: see what i don't understand is why do people engineers trying to do this why are they constantly trying to reinvent the wheel well normally if you've got an incredible success for the first time with a technology that's 50 years old you'd want to look at what did they do why did they succeed how are they knowledgeable and we aren't well one thing they did is they didn't use lasers glass and lasers do not mix they used something called s-band radar now back in the 60s s-band radar you literally had had what are called traveling wave you had vacuum tubes you created high energy radio waves with a vacuum tube and magnets and electrons in a, a calibrated flow vacuum tubes are fragile if you land too hard on the surface with a vacuum tube, what happens? It breaks. And then you can't use it because the vacuum's gone. So um, they, they were using this archaic technology, but they succeeded with, with uh, Surveyor five out of seven times. Now, because it's 2024, you don't have to use big, complex, power-hungry electronics to create radio waves of the same frequency that Surveyor used you can have what's called a solid-state transmitter, which, like lasers, is one-tenth the power, one-hundredth the weight, you know, one-tenth of the volume. In other words, if they, if they decided to go with radio waves, good old radar, there are technologies now, solid-state, that can create radio transmitters which are as efficient as lasers. But we know the radio waves don't get caught in the dome. They bounce off the surface, Therefore, our guys landed, and the current crop is not landing. And you'd think their engineers would go, well, there's got to be a factor here we're not accounting for. Unless the existence of the dome is the big secret that nobody ever intends to tell us about. Even if they are taking pictures and they're leaking the existence of this thing left, right, up, down, not only by one set of cameras, but by all the cameras on board are showing us various aspects of this unknown, unacknowledged, unadmitted major huge feature of the moon we think we know.
5: Well, Richard, on the um note of uh, cameras and I do want to step aside so cuz we got a big crew here. Um I was having this conversation with um Michael um you're one of your listeners and I was saying, you know, and we heard it again with Nova, sort of, and even uh, Joseph from last week. Like we're looking at this giant, I guess it's a fisheye camera. And I'm thinking, is this the best we can do? You know, talk about like you said advancements in in, in uh, you know uh, uh, ships, cruise, cruises, uh, uh, planes, et cetera, et cetera, computers, and you know, doorbell cameras show better images sometimes than some of the stuff that we're seeing from the moon it's like is it that difficult cameras all over the space probes? i i don't understand that that's the part i and so we get these limited um like uh uh, uh like the limited perspective it's, it's almost like like when we do filming like in tv and commercials and movies is you know the the eye is seeing promethean arch right we're seeing the stage and everything behind that would be you know if we opened it up the the, you know the camera aperture you'd see like guys and women and everybody standing on the side holding microphones and everything so it's a very narrow alley of view and i don't understand why none of these probes can't seem to give us multiple views from different cameras all at the same time i mean they do it well with the landers on mars why can't we do it on the moon
0: Given the fact that the moon is only, you know, a couple of seconds away and the, and, the, and the bandwidth and the signal strength and all that, I mean, it's right next door. It's just 240,000 miles away. We have spacecraft that are sending us data from, from New Horizons, which is beyond Pluto, which is 4 yeah. billion miles away. And the signal strength goes down as the inverse square of the distance. So you just do the numbers on an envelope. There's no reason why we shouldn't have multiple live video of these landings. And all they do is show us these stupid animations because Uh, they're hiding the real moon. They're hiding it. Okay. um, Let me bring on Rogero. Rogero Calo is a a podiatrist. He also is a brilliant medical illustrator. He He does artwork in a very different style than Andrew, but he sees things so Let's go to Ruggiero, who has gotten up at the crack of dawn in uh, Britain to basically be with us to show us some of the things that he's been seeing. So let's start with the moon, Ruggiero, okay?
6: Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh,
0: Have you had your tea? Good morning, everyone. Have you had your
6: tea? I haven't had my tea. Uh, I need to get myself a coffee, but uh, that that can wait because we've got more important things to do and discuss, so... Far, far away, Richard. What, what would you well,
0: like me to look Well, let's start with to the moon because it. you've got some images up there from Io, and you have some other images of the moon from Earth. But let's start with mm-hmm. this mission. I've been sending you these images from the cameras on board the mission. What is your response to what you're seeing?
6: Right. I need to put this together somehow. I can frame it correctly. Um, the first thing I'd like to highlight is on. Do you remember on my email I sent you this week with my my point of confusion, um, which is a big question really, as to why are we seeing um, normal color on some photographs and others um, we're seeing uh, extra colors come out. So if I take people through the journey of, of my, my imagery, And I looked at, um, I'll start with number 12, and then on on to 13. Right. So I went on both the NASA and the uh, Intuitive Machines websites. And what I did was I screenshotted them both. Image 12, you'll just see a normal color of the moon.
0: Well, Image 12 was released by Intuitive Machines. They went into lunar orbit. Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of... Soap opera in the background behind this picture we didn't know about when we when we got the picture, <clears throat> mm. and it looks like a normal lander orbiting the moon. The moon is gray in the back. The mm. lander has gold mylar. It's got red cabling. It's got all the normal stuff. But if you increase the saturation, you're saying mm. that the moon turns from gray into color. And, yeah. And, so and, what? And, well, well what? You see the reason that is is because the color is there. It's not. You're not creating it. You're simply turning up the saturation, meaning you're turning up the the color values, and, mm. and you're not magically making it appear out of nowhere. It's there, it's subtle, it's pastels, and when you enhance the image by turning up the color, you see both the lander colors, which are obviously vibrant because it's a brand new machine, and then you mm. see this ancient, you know, refraction through the glass in my model around the dome, which is why the... Moon. when you increase the color, it becomes colorful because the colors are there, but they're just so subtle because the glass is so thin now. It does Mm -hmm. not effectively refract like a, a prism chandelier in your dining room, the primary colors of the rainbow and or the various colors you get when you mix primary colors. But given that with these cameras, you can simply increase the saturation and bingo, the color is there, that's how I know that they're not doing much with the image, other than suppressing the colors of the moon. Because remember, the moon's supposed to be dead and gray, nothing going mm. on but vacuum and craters and radiation. So all these missions are not showing us the full spectrum (pun intended) of what we're looking at until you yeah. take it into a program on Earth, increase the saturation, and then bingo, the color yeah. from the from the dome is. Readily visible
6: yeah so what for for the scientific method what I did is i when I did my screenshots because I was using apple mac um a MacBook air and i um managed to screenshot in the uh, the the details um of the program on both the before and the after so that would be image twelve and image thirteen you can see exactly how how much i um changed, enhanced, manipulated the, the photo to bring out the color in the level of saturation and a few other tweaks.
0: Yeah, and we're getting down to the bottom of the hour, so we've got about oh, 30 was, seconds here.
6: Oh, okay. Okay, well, um, and it, I'll jump onto number 15, and that was strangely on, on the spread on intuitive machines. You've got about five images. I think I clicked on the middle one, and I tried to change that one, and I can't. It, the background just stays great. And that was uh,
0: Well, that's odd. because that's not a real picture. My analysis oh. said that's a composite. That's a picture that they released. They made up. It's not an actual image. It's been literally composited by intuitive machines because they did not want us to see what's on the real moon underneath the spacecraft. So they they substituted what we think of as the moon. They're not telling us the truth. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to be able to show you exactly how they did it you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland and we shall return Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night on the David Copperfield Disappearing Moon and the Lunar Mysteries of the Odysseus space mission show, where we're talking with various participants in the Enterprise mission team. Ruggiero is on right now. He is a podiatrist from England. He does sketches, brilliant sketches of both medical and non-medical material. And he's asked this basic question, why? When you change the uh, saturation on current images, do you get color on some images? And it just remains stubbornly black and white on others. And what my assessment is of those images, you tried to bring up the color, that's Mm -hmm. not the real moon. That's that's a synthetic Mm -hmm. moon inserted in those shots because they can't show us the real moon. The real moon below this spacecraft is covered with junk. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on a way of revealing the real surface from the descending lander. And I've got something, but I'm not quite ready for prime time. I don't want to put it out there because everything you put on the internet lives forever. So we're trying to be very, very cautious and careful. It looks to me like, you know, Decius was designed from the get-go as a stealth mission, as a mission which would post imagery without comment, letting everybody kind of figure out what they're looking at and uh uh if you if you actually do do the homework yourself you find that they're not giving us everything because if they did it would be a fait accompli and obviously they're trying to fly under the radar by posting data that others can process and explain but they are not put in the hot seat to explain it themselves and when we get yeah. toward the end of the program, I'm going to suggest something that might change this uh, political situation for the better. Anyway, did, 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 well, I, did I cover enough of what I think is going on so you get the idea?
6: Whoops. Yeah, we're, 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 we're getting there. I just want to say tonight's show is just utterly fascinating. And uh, I think it's, I've looked for everybody's data uh, briefly. And there's just so much uh, to get through and to cover. Um, And everything I put on tonight, I've done my best um, to make utterly relevant to this evening's show. Um, And some of the stuff might look quite bizarre. Um, I'm going to – can I just – I've got time. Can I jump on to Image Well, I
0: want to bring in others. I want to talk about them, and then we'll come back to the other things you've posted. Okay. Because we may not have time. We have a lot of people in – Matthew had something really important to add, and I wanted to bring him into the conversation because, frankly, where Hmm. this is going, where I think this can be resolved, is if we turn to AI. AI is the new authority figures where when AI looks at something and it says something, people tend to believe, oh, it's an artificial intelligence, therefore, oh, it's got to be right. Well, no, you don't deal with AI like any other authority figure. You look at the data and you see if its analysis corresponds and confirms your independent analysis, and that's of course the way we, we should, should focus on this. I wanna bring, bring on Holger Eisenberg. Holger is a, is a computer expert. He's living in the Bay Area in California. Uh, he used to live in Germany uh, way back when. He, he caught my attention because after the Viking landings uh, back in 1976, and the color imagery from Mars that was published, uh, Holger very courageously and resolutely went about showing technically that the colors represented from NASA's mission biking to Mars was not accurate. The skies are not blood red. There are blue skies on Mars, which opens up a whole can of worms about atmospheres and densities, excuse me, and molecular scattering and all that. So Holger, What's your analysis of the current Odysseus mission to the moon?
7: Oh, first I was thinking when uh, following live the landing was uh, communication outage. (laughs) It was the first topic coming up because there was nothing shown. They landed. That was shown live on their video stream, and then nothing. Communication outage. And we had to wait, I guess, one day to see the first uh, image photo shown on the surface. That was a bit surprising. And of course, as a with a private company mission, they cannot reveal everything. of course, they cannot reveal all the technology. It's understandable.
0: But uh, with this. No, wait, being, wait, 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 wait. Let, uh, me, the... let me let me stop you there. The only thing that Intuitive Machines developed is proprietary is the cryogenic oxygen, liquid oxygen, methane, liquid methane engine. That's their proprietary development. The rest of the technology, they simply bought off the open market. So they can tell us why these cameras have these weird fisheye lenses and what they're doing to produce imagery inside the lens and outside the lens. Because as I was saying to Nova off the air before, uh, I think it's done deliberately to confuse people. Because their their mandate is to show us what's there, but like Emily Dickinson, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Unless they come out with an official press release describing the dome elements that are right there in the pictures, multiple, multiple pictures, every picture they've released, except the ones in transit between Earth and Moon. Nobody is going to believe what we're talking about tonight, unless we bring in the ultimate authority figure Politically of AI and that's the conversation we're going to have with Matthew uh, very shortly. So back back to your uh, Potential the data is there. They're just not telling us what it is. They're finding
7: And we we had to if I remember correctly We had to wait more than one day for the first image in the second press conference in mm-hmm. the second press conference and when comparing that with uh, for example, the first
0: yeah, and every day of you landing
7: wait. on the moon in 1966, 35 minutes after landing, the first image appeared live on TV, black and white, but live on TV, 35 minutes after landing with Surveyor 1. And even with Apollo, uh, the, the fastest image with Apollo was uh, a bit about five hours So still faster than uh, one day or two days with the current
0: mission. See, this is another trend curve which is going in the wrong direction. Fifty years ago, we had live transmission of television from the moon. Live in the sense that when the astronauts, after five hours, got out, they turned on the camera and all their moonwalks and all that was sent live. Back in 1969 with a black and white westinghouse extraordinarily limited bandwidth tv camera now we have stunning state-of-the-art electronics miniaturized cameras color sensitivity greater bandwidth greater power capability and we're not seeing anything live what's wrong with this picture and
7: and not to forget it was uh, the nasa commercial lunar payload service mission for nasa uh... Commission them to deliver a payload commercially to the moon, and if I on the earth commission payload delivery with a postage service, for example, for packages, I get an immediate delivery verification picture a second it lands on my doorstep from Amazon. It is standard industry for package delivery. Why not on
0: the moon? only three seconds further away well the obvious answer i think is they're being you know very careful to censor things that would be intuitively pun intended obvious as to what they're viewing what they're photographing what somebody's trying to show us there's wheels within wheels within wheels so take us through this this very interesting mission which almost failed didn't sent oh, back richard to, you know, go ahead is this is ron yeah. Ron Ron, Can I throw... Yeah, by all, I, all,
8: by all I, means. Can I throw a, Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm trying not to waste your time. Uh, let me throw an asterisk in here on the bit about them uh, being careful what they release. Being an old guy, I remember when it was happening, and the vast majority of the pictures taken during the Apollo program uh, on the moon didn't show up for a year and a half.
0: They started dribbling them out. No, 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 no. You're talking the you film. Know, not, was hang was on. Not hang on. Ron, care. Ron, hang on. Holger and I are talking about live television, not the film. The, the film had to be brought back to Earth <clears throat> and processed in the laboratory in Houston by Dick Underwood, who was head of the photo lab. And then the PR people released to the print magazines. Remember, totally different era. No internet, no ability to see it in your living room. All you could see was on television and everybody was satisfied with a few pictures, but the television came down live. Now we know from the Chinese, they gave us live video of their landings and no Western missions, and I consider the Japanese a Western mission, have given us anything close. The Indians didn't give us any live data from the moon. It's all carefully censored behind animations because they don't dare show us what is really there.
8: Well, of course. I, I, I think I'm familiar with the difference between film and video. I'm just saying that they take their own sweet time about releasing this stuff. And nowadays, there's no point in trying because the, of social media and everything else. People are gonna, Somebody in the lab is going to tweet out the pictures they're trying to hide. So it's helped a little.
0: No, well, I don't think we so, have any okay. unauthorized leaks. Everything which we're looking at has been officially released. I only got one image from a member of my audience who's kind of connected that I think was a leak. And the only reason I know that is because it's the best highest resolution version of the image they sent with little uh, crescent earth. And that's the one that shows this stunning crystalline detail, the cubicle glass boxes of the dome in incredible resolution. And that one came out, not officially, but from an unofficial source, but it's obviously identical to the one that's released is just of a much better quality. So I've got one confirmed leak, a lot of public data, which if you understand what you're looking at, the public data is more than enough to reach the conclusion. There is a dome over the moon, thicker over the poles, as we predicted, and they were really lucky to get down. And the fact that they crashed, kind of, is because the landing systems are not designed to land safely through glass. It's obvious. That will obviously now be corrected because they know what's there because it's on their own data. Hoger, let's go back to you.
7: There was also a, a, a plan to uh, be published soon. What I heard is uh, because the data was received the narrow angle ILO X image, so the second camera the narrow angle more telescope like camera, which they apparently received already and uh, plan to publish, I heard, in, in the public press conference but it's it's understandable that they hold it back wait, wait because do, you, do you know uh, when this,
0: do you know when the second lunar telescope image will be released
7: the narrow angle uh, i don't know when but uh, they said they received the image and uh the ilo x is a, a private is uh it's a non-profit so yeah that, that's uh, the one uh, run by my old friend
0: uh, Stephen durst in hawaii
7: yeah and apparently they uh, are currently holding an um, auction to um, To sell the first image so that it might be understandable to get some funding via The publication of the second high resolution image that might be the reason to it. and also a uh, free
0: enterprise what, what is, is raising its ugly head <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, outside of the live
7: television or uh, quickly released the stand image still images why not sending a live audio Transmission or so to the public, because the only verification we received when following the landing live was, sure, uh, well, in the in the official live stream they said they landed, but didn't show any data for that. And the only verification we had uh, was from the from independent uh, radio observatories, which received the radio signal, and they could establish then by the change in the radio signal frequency. That actually the landing occurred a soft landing because the signal changed rapidly and then continued steadily that means it was descending and that was uh, then on twitter for example confirmed by a few uh, private radio astronomy stations like the one in in germany in bochum i had on my twitter feed in item 3 where they directly showed the live stream from their antenna and uh from the radio uh from the amateur radio team there in the radio observatory in bochum and they were quite experienced because they uh, also received the data from uh, the radio live radio audio from apollo and also much earlier from sputnik the first station which received in public the data from sputnik in 57 uh, and they had the live stream there, so that was some uh, independent confirmation about the landing, but no further other data. It was a bit disappointing.
0: Well, let me ask you a, a, a kind of a leading question. Given this radical departure between the early missions, where we knew nothing, so there was nothing to hide, and now these missions, where presumably after 50 years. There's been a lot of background analysis of what's around the moon, my model, et cetera, et cetera. It's being confirmed by, I keep saying Odyssey, it's Odysseus. It's being confirmed by Odysseus, and yet they're not saying a thing. So your assumption is the censorship is intervening because why? I don't know, but I, I haven't thought about that. Well, so wildly speculate. What's, what's, thought, uh, what's, what's uh, the obvious? What's the obvious reason? If you're not telling your audience the truth, like you did 50 years before, the obvious reason is you're covering up something, right?
7: Yeah, I, I, I was thinking uh, or having some speculation about the switch of the lending system because. Uh, the, the company landing system. The LiDAR, was unfunctional officially, or, or it was published that uh, they forgot the, the enabling switch to activate in the cabling. But uh, it's it's from my point a highly speculative. <laughs> Maybe uh, could be that uh, that NASA knew the some technical detail. It's purely speculation from my point that they knew some. De- technical detail which is important to get it running and that detail might not be known by the companies yet and they knew that the LiDAR was not working.
0: See one of the weird things about this private corporation to the moon business is that all uh, not Altman, Stephen um, uh, Altimus who's the head of the company he said forthrightly they're going to share all their technical details With astrobotic which is developing the viper mission that was supposed to be launched sometime toward the end of the year which is part of artemis to look for volatiles that's what the v in viper stands for looking for uh, volatiles like water and methane and other frozen gases for for a lunar base so they're talking about sharing the technology so then again you wonder well why are all these time delays in giving us live data was it because they couldn't send the data live downstream. If I'm a private corporation and I'm trying to get investors to be part of a successful enterprise, pun intended, the biggest thing now with everybody with smartphones and social media is images. You can send images of anything anywhere in the world from anybody doing anything. You'd think a live landing on the moon, you'd have live television to show every exquisite detail of an unprecedented commercial feat. And yet, it's, it's more censored than the damn Chinese missions. What's wrong with this picture?
7: Could could be that some technology is needed, which is not that much known. Also, there is no visual light space telescope, except for the Hubble Space Telescope outside Earth. And this ILO X telescope would be the, the second only visual light telescope outside of Earth operating. And we haven't seen it yet operating, because we have only seen the surface images it took, but it, we haven't seen the space images it took from the sky yet. Nope, nope. And that only the Hubble Space Telescope showed it in visual light. So we had a UV telescope in space, infrared telescopes, but only the Hubble is a visual light telescope in space. The Chinese is soon coming in a few weeks or months even. That would be the, the second boss then.
0: All right, I tell you what, let let me move to uh, Greg, Greg uh, Ahrens, who is one of our um, experts. I've kind of roped him into this. Uh, Greg is an Air Force veteran. He does imaging. He does mathematics. He looked at the uh, Norway spiral with me in great detail. He's been looking at the Barry 1 spacecraft, which, by the way, is still ascending in orbit around the Earth, where they're claiming they can't talk to it. The radios of Gone silent. They can't communicate. They didn't turn on the, the the engine, and yet it's rising in its orbit. We'll talk about that probably next week. Greg, you wanted to say some things about your observations vis-a-vis the Odysseus mission. What what has been your conclusion?
9: Um, well, it looks to me like looks to me like they found the dome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Finally, somebody who can look at a picture and knows what they're seeing.
9: Well, I saw that. I saw the one with the uh, during their press during their press conference. I was listening to it on a on a phone and just could look could just glance at the teeny picture. And when they flashed that on, I said, "Wait, that looks like the dome." <laughs> so, so then I had to get a better picture of it, you know, on a on a regular computer and see what was going on. But but now. On my items, on number two, there was
0: there was okay, one let's, picture. Let's hang that... on, hang on. Let's describe to folks how they get there. You go to okay. the other side of midnight dot com. All right, you want to go to the banner. Click on the banner on the other side of midnight dot com, which says Copperfield's Disappearing Moon and the Odysseus Lunar Landing Mystery for March second. Click on the banner. That will take you to the guest page. You will see under the guest page fast links to items. The banner on the guest page. Click on Greg. That takes us to his section. So go for it.
9: Okay. Um, the reason I put number two up, it's it was the only. Um, it's also taken with that wide-angle lens or fisheye.
0: Right in Earth orbit and, before they left.
9: And they're in yeah Earth orbit. The 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 uh, th- second stage or third stage, whatever the upper it's, stage. It's
0: the second stage of the Falcon 9. You can see the busier behind them
9: is floating behind them, and the sun. This this is the only picture they took before they got to the moon uh, that shows the sun in the picture. And so, but there is some, you know, there's some lens flare and stuff in it, and there's also the ring on the outer edge of the picture. But the sun is away from the ring. We're on the uh, the picture from the Schomburger crater. Right. The sun was kind of split by the ring, and it looked like it was, you know, cut in half, and was reflection.
0: Right. So,
9: so that was a, I put this one up so people could compare what the, what the sun looks like before. See, to get one to
0: the of moon. my missions for this week is to get to the mechanics of these cameras, because unlike right. NASA, and unlike their press kit, where they were really, you know, Intuitive Machines really produced in a PDF color form something approaching an old fashioned NASA press kit. I remember I used to be out in Florida with Cronkite at the pool and we both had these huge notebooks and we've had hundreds of pages, every detail. You wanted to know something about the circuitry in the S4B for the IMU. Those are acronyms. It was in this notebook. You wanted to know something about the film type and the, and the, and the shutter speed for the cameras on the crew. It was in this notebook. Everything, kind of like the old Carson line, everything you ever wanted to know about the Apollo mission you were covering was in these stupid, big, damn, multi-pound notebooks, which our staff made up. Now, you want a detail on the camera. You look and you look and you look. We're in the information age. Everything is on the Internet. You can't find a damn thing about these cameras. Why not? because they don't want us to know how they're making up the pictures. So as Nova said, well, I can't really reach a conclusion because I don't know what I'm seeing because I don't know how the cameras work, which is a very potentially grounded scientific reaction. I think by design, the company is obscuring under their commercial status the fact $118 million of our money, taxpayer money. When you go to the moon all by yourself and you have your own network, You can play all kinds of cute games. But if you're functioning under a NASA contract where half the mission cost is being supported by the American taxpayer, under the NASA charter, the American taxpayer should have full technical knowledge of what they're seeing, how they're seeing it, how it's processed, what conclusions they should draw based on the limitations of the cameras. In other words, all the critical scientific data that we need to make a scientific analysis is carefully being withheld and censored, and it's not right under the charter.
9: Right. Yeah. It's obscured anyway. At least now, if you look at my number three item, which I just had CONFIA put up tonight, um, there is information about the uh, ILOX instrument.
0: Okay, this is a lunar telescope, not the Odyssey camera. It's two yeah they' they're they' oh. they're, 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 they're they're corporate packages from the International Lunar Astronomy Association, run by my friend and colleague Steve Durst out of Hawaii. It's a camera package with a wide and narrow angle camera totally separate from the cameras from intuitive machines on the spacecraft itself.
9: Oh. Well, I'm not sure. I think the the wide angle, the wide field of view imager is the one that we've we've been looking at with the 186
0: degree. Yeah, they released one image from Thursday a couple, three days ago. And it looks like it's either the lens is covered with sand or dust or dirt, or there's something in the sky that was photographed by the camera, which they're not explaining. Uh, Andrew and I went over it kind of carefully the other night. When you look at it, what do you think you see?
9: Um, I'm not sure which which uh, one. I, I saw something on their page that said there was a possibly a crack in the...
0: Well, that's that little bright streak at the bottom of, at the edge where the circle. But they have the same circular horizon like a wide-angle 186-degree lens that the spacecraft cameras have. Remember, two different institutions, two different sets of camera, but they're both showing us the same thing overhead. It's just interpreting the wide-field imager. We don't know because they didn't reveal any information. Did they get a lot of dust on the lens? Mm. Of course, if your lens has not got a dust cover, why would you put a dust cover on a lunar lander? Well, on this mission, remember, they had four cameras on the legs designed to photograph the effects of the dust kicked up by the engine, right? Right. Well, you would assume if you're sending optics to the moon, and you know there's a dust problem, you will have a mechanical design where the cameras are carefully protected from the dust till the engine is turned off and the, and the dust blows away. Right. And, and then you unveil the cameras, either a lens cover, a lens cap, a, a, a you know, kind of a, 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 a lens, uh, um, what do they call those things? Uh, lens. Um, oh, darn, I can't think of the name. Basically, it's basically it's a mechanical round shutter, which has spokes, which unfurl it like an iris in your eyes. Right. So, well, all of that would protect. the, the di- Say again.
8: The diaphragm.
0: Yeah, well, the it's, diaphragm. It's, it's basically the gadget behind the diaphragm, which shows you whether it's open or closed. You know, you need a you need you need some kind of shutter to take a picture. But if you don't have your camera encased in something where the dust can't stick to it after landing, I mean, that's what looks like has happened to the uh, ILO uh, cameras. They're hopelessly dust covered because they weren't covered during the landing, which, of course, they knew there was going to be dust because they had four cameras to photograph the dust from the landing. So the left hand may not have talked to the right hand. There there may be some engineering refinements required before the next mission from this company. And I have no idea what the future plans of ILO are, the International Lunar Observatory, with these two cameras mounted at the top of the body of the spacecraft because, A, it's tipped over 30 degrees, which means their carefully calculated fields of view of the sky are now, you know, trash. They're, They're not useful. But they got something and they published it but they didn't publish any understanding of what we're seeing in the image. They just published the image. It's so Emily Dickinson.
9: Right. And I think um, I put number four is the link to the website for the ILO uh, organization in um, Hawaii. And it has, that's where I got the specifications for the, uh, in the, the left sidebar under the 23 February article.
0: Yeah, and we are up against the top of the hour, so let's hold it there My guests this morning, too numerous to mention, just go to the website and take a look You'll see all their names, you'll see their backgrounds, why they're part of this conversation You're on the other side of midnight It is midnight here in the Land of Enchantment and Soon we'll be on the other side Stay tuned
4: The Other Side of Midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. Thirty-three cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of (laughs) midnight.com.
0: And welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight here, on the land of enchantment from the Mexi- New Mexican deserts in northern New Mexico, just slightly north of where the first atomic bomb was detonated back in 1945. Our next guest in the lineup tonight is someone that I really wanted to uh, have uh, kind of give us his input because I think ultimately we're going to have to go to the what I will call the AI solution. I don't think our culture anymore is going to believe human beings, but based on what I've seen in the field, if an AI is submitted with these pictures and the appropriate background of the technology, the camera angles, the mechanisms, the engineering, the optical trains, the shutter speeds, power, all that stuff, and it comes out with some kind of analysis as to what is there, My feeling is politically that people are more likely than not willing because they're being inculcated to believe that if an AI looks at something, it's going to give you the truth. Matthew Bailey, come on down. What do you think?
10: Good evening, Richard.
0: Good evening. So what are your thoughts when you look at these images and thoughts in general? Am I right that ultimately we're going to have to go to the arbiter of AI before anybody on Earth believes their lying eyes?
10: Well, I hope not, but artificial intelligence can provide additional information of clarity regarding the images, Richard. So if people go to item number 13 on the website, I did a couple of things. Um, You
0: You mean in my item?
10: On your item, yeah, yes, on yeah. your items number thirteen. 13th, about that. So, so ChatGPT, it doesn't have the design of what we call convolutional networks, which, are, which is uh, kind of very good at image analysis and, uh, and working with image, although it does have some capability. So I did two things with ChatGPT. The first thing is, in that image, I took your image
0: of the structure, and overlay as chat wait, wait, you, you mean you mean overlay- our you mean, you mean our computer model from like 1996 with uh, bob puretech and me which was yeah on the sorry left hand, yeah the left hand side that that's a mathematical model of glass in yeah. the computer to try to match what we saw on the apollo data and it came up with this highly geometric honeycomb kind of glass model
10: right so w- i asked chat gpt to overlay that Image onto the um, the uh, the image that we're we're getting uh, from Odyssey. You can do and that
2: with
10: Chat GPT. Oh yeah, you can do a lot with Chat GPT. Just okay. so that people. <laughs> but, yeah. So if people look at image number thirteen, you can see the two images overlaid, and from my point of view, it looks like the geometric structure is in the same. Um, kind of dimensional format as the distorted linear images that we're seeing, Richard. Um, The the vertical and the horizontal images, it looks like it's a really good fit. Now, you know, there could be something that ChatGPT is doing to actually, um, you know, influence the final output. But what we're starting to get here is a high degree of confidence that there is a match between the left image, your model, and also with the energy lines that we're seeing horizontal and vertical in the Odyssey image.
0: No, wait, wait. So you, then you, I, you, I, I, hang on, hang on. You just said ahead. something interesting. Why are you calling them energy lines?
10: Well, we can talk about that because I've actually seen these images, this structure before on planet Earth.
0: You have or you have not? I have. Oh, where?
10: So this is where we kind of go into a vibrational plane. You know, we've spoken about vibration and, and different dimensions before. Right. So um, the, 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 all I can say is this. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much to share on the air here. But, um, but all I can say is this, is there are vibrational structures on the earth that um, are not necessarily in the third dimension, but in other aspects, other dimensions that we can experience uh, in our vibrational design as human beings. And so I've actually seen this structure before um, on planet Earth as a a vibrational structure, which is what I sense we're seeing here, Richard. I know it sounds out there. No,
0: no, 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 no. no. So you're saying that the optics that we're seeing from my purported dome are not mm-hmm. physical glass but some kind of energy structure which is being interpreted by both film cameras 50 years ago and digital electronic cameras now as a geometric pattern floating in free space above the moon, but physically it's not really there, right? Correct.
10: Uh, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Richard.
0: Okay, well that's a, that's a very viable model. How would you go about testing it?
10: So, so, so first of all, let, let let's just wrap up with artificial intelligence here. So, so basically, I took your 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 model image and the Odyssey image, and I said to ChatGPT, "Look, w- compare these two images and guess uh, what this lunar structure might be." And I've written this under um, under item 13. And basically. Uh, ChatGPT basically gives a, over a 70% correlation between your image, your model, and looking at the energy lines that we're seeing in the Odysseus uh, image of compatibility. So basically, uh, AI is saying that there are definite similarities between the two images and that the two images have a, over a 70% alignment in terms of compatibility and i find that really interesting
0: well based on a background in ai would you say this is a independent neutral ob- observer simply looking at data and if you got a 70 percent probability that we're right it's artificial what does that tell you in terms of the sociology and science of ai applied to a problem like this
10: well f- well first of all is that it definitely is independent um as far as i'm aware there is no bias towards this kind of assessment it's it is an independent view richard um and and what it and, and what it shows us is that basically um we can go further into analysis of these different types of images we're getting from the moon with artificial intelligence to try and uncover what's really going on, such as the colors that you were speaking about with the, uh, the, the, uh, your guests from the United Kingdom. So artificial intelligence can be really useful, and, and what I'd love to do is to get a convolutional network to look at these images because it would be even more accurate in analyzing the compatibility between the two images regarding this artificial structure richard
0: well that's exactly what i want to do but it's kind of like you know when my my grandmother used to say if you don't know your furs know your furrier right you're 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 my furrier when it comes to ai so i right. can provide you with the data both the raw data from in, intuitive machines i still find the name of the company really Amazingly weird, and Andrew and I are going to get into it shortly. But if I provide you with data, both our uh, modified, meaning enhanced, and the original, mm-hmm. and you have the appropriate program which can simply compare, like a super super trillion flop calculator, are these patterns the same? And if they yeah, are, absolutely. to what to what degree do they differ? In other words, I'm interested in the sociology. If an AI, which you're saying tonight, says Hoagland has a 70 percent chance of being right, well, with elections, you only need 51 percent, which oh,
10: means,
0: which means you know, both in the current uh, presidential primaries, uh, former President Trump is getting like 54, 58 of, percent of, you know, red states and Biden is getting 96 to 80 some percent of blue states or in these primaries. And we do not argue that either party has won because the preponderance of the evidence counting the votes says they have won. If there's a 70 percent chance that my model that we built decades ago is accurate compared to current contemporary data, I would think that's a very strong, positive, you know, confirmation that we're on the right track and we're looking at something, whether it's glass or energy. It's artificial in terms of its geometry.
10: Yeah, that's exactly right, Richard. I mean, that's well said. And if you look at the, the image number 13, all I asked was overlay, overlay the two images. I did not ask it to integrate. I did not ask it to do anything other than overlay. And if you, if you look at the overlay, the energy lines are very much aligned with the glass structure that you uh, came up with in the 1960s.
0: It's it's remarkable. Well, let me go back to my question. You think it's energy. I think it's physical. I think it's real glass. How do we tell the difference? What's the next part of the experiment to decide which is which?
10: Well, it would help if we had accurate images from Odysseus, right?
0: (laughs) I have a whole week Um, before next week's show. We'll do it on Saturday. I'm gonna press them officially In fact, let me bring this up with you. The thing that makes it so difficult for a half century in getting the truth out of NASA, they're a government agency, right? Mm -hmm. If you read the charter, legally, in law, in the enacting, I'm sorry, the enabling legislation that Eisenhower put on the table and the Congress then voted on and then he signed, setting up NASA, as a civilian agency, if you read the charter, it turns out NASA is not a civilian space agency. Do you know why? Because in the charter, in the charter, the national security state, the, the executive branch, the Department of Defense, the intelligence agencies, you know, the DCA, the CIA, the DNI, whatever, all these you know, acronyms, these alphabet soups, they're all ultimately involved in the charter, if you read it carefully, they can censor any data that NASA publishes before they publish under national security. Well 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 one can understand that.
10: The question is, assuming that you've got a hit here on the geometric structure is on the moon and has been captured um by this camera the question is what multiple
0: is it? cameras multiple
10: the question is what is it and what's its purpose
0: yeah well let me go back to the political the reason this mission presents us with such an extraordinary opportunity for truth is because unlike nasa which is covered by governmental legal restrictions in other words, you can't sue the government unless they let you, really, right? right? Right. IM, Intuitive Machines, is a private corporation. They can be sued. They can be taken to court, just like these various you know, uh, lawsuits against Trump for past infractions of the law. They can be taken to court. They can be made to be held accountable. They can be made under discovery to reveal all their data, how the cameras are made, how the data is acquired, because they're just off the shelf. They're like NASA used GoPros on Perseverance to go to uh, Mars. They modified them. Well, Intuitive Machines is using commercial cameras. They are modifying to take pictures of the moon. Their modifications are... I'm sure it's part of the public domain. Anyway, the point is I need a few good lawyers in our audience to contact me. How do we set up a legal process to extract from intuitive machines, admission, details, and the truth about what these cameras are photographing because to a first order, they're completely confirming a model we put on the table at the National Press Club Back in March of 1996.
10: Yeah, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place, really, aren't they? Um, and I guess the person to speak to is Elon Musk, because obviously he runs SpaceX, and you know he probably comes across these yeah, issues Yeah, but wait, all wait, wait. Time.
0: Musk was only the truck driver. He only took the mission into space, released it like a butterfly, and Intuitive Machines mm. is running the mission. Musk has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the mission. So the people to ask are the people running Intuitive Machines, which I will take the next week with conferring with people in the background to decide, do we actually mount a public uh, citizen action lawsuit against Intuitive Machines to get the truth? Because unlike NASA, they are not prohibited by so-called, you know, uh, Title C or censorship of forbidden technology. Because all their technology is U.S. Their photographs are of the moon. According to the record, there's no national defense criteria or excuse for censoring anything from the moon. And if the judge looks at this in camera and comes out with a decree or a judgment or a final ruling that they are, in fact, under the law, able to restrict certain information... That will be an extraordinary admission. There is something up there tonight to hide. Right?
10: Right. I mean, I, I've worked with NASA, and I've got the highest admiration for NASA, so we're going to have to disagree to di- agree but, or agree to disagree. But
0: <laughs> but see, yeah, when, I, you, I, I, when, when, I, when you and I are, say, NASA, you're assuming all several thousand people that work for the agency are in on it. The way you keep right. the conspiracy going is you don't tell anybody. You keep the number of players very restricted. You have them sign all kinds of documents legally, putting them in jeopardy if they reveal the truth. And so you kind of see the presence of your quarry by its absence, by its shadow, by its uh, non-existence on the landscape, indicating there's something there. But you're not being allowed to see what the something is. So I think –
10: go ahead, go ahead. ahead. And I had another thought. It's that uh, if we if we uh, do a bit of sci fi stuff and we look at the Borg, right? They had cubes and they were seen as the enemy of humanity. And I wonder whether your init- your structure from the nineties influenced uh, the the kind of Borg design because there was a no, there's no, a no,
8: narrative. No, 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 no. no this created. is this
0: is Ooh, I kind can... of like... Yeah, but except yeah, it's, right. It, it, it's it's... somewhere, right? But it's not the truth. We didn't know what we were going to find. We basically gave the computer, uh, Bob Furtek did, his his architectural CAD computer that he used to design structures on Earth, you know, to sell buildings. And he put inputted my geometric data from our measurements from the Apollo imagery. I had a whole range of Apollo, particularly Apollo 10. He put it in the computer, and that's the, the model that it spit out. It had no idea what it was doing. It's not AI. It's nowhere near self-conscious, aware, it doesn't understand feedback loops. It was a very simple CAD program. Take the geometry with refraction indices of glass, give us a model geometrically of what had to be producing the imagery we saw on Apollo, and it spit out that that lattice, that three-dimensional cubic lattice. Then you go to Uh, uh, to the Odysseus image, and there's a cubic lattice.
10: Right. Well, it it confirms the research that you did, right? It 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 confirms the
0: model, because all we assumed in the model is that something can refract light. Now, in your model, you're saying it's energy. I'm saying it's good old physical glass. And we will find out quickly when they bring back samples. Remember, half the lunar materials by weight from Apollo, the samples, the rocks and all that, it's Mm -hmm. powdered glass. In fact, the percentage of glass at the poles, I think, is going to be much higher than we saw at the Apollo sites because, remember, we're under the protective dome where if stuff is abrading on top, if you're having impacts on the top of this of this multi-mile thick layer of cubicle glass structures, the top's going to be whittled away, right? If there are, right. if there are transport mechanisms, physical you know, uh, uh, conduits, tunnels, shafts, whatever, between the top of the dome and the bottom, the glass Mm -hmm. eroded at the top is going to fall down to the surface and reach the surface miles below eventually, just like dust under your bed accumulates, right? Right, 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 right. Which means when we analyze the composition of the polar regions, if we're right, the percentage of glass should be so much higher that it will show up against the Apollo data from the moon rocks from the manned missions as a stunning anomaly. And in fact, the, uh, the Indian mission reported certain physical chemistry anomalies before their lander died and were told it never woke up. Do we know that's true? No, we don't. Because all they had to do is put another transmitter on a different frequency in their lander and they could have conducted all kinds of stuff When it woke up with nobody eavesdropping, looking over their shoulders, looking at the published frequencies, etc. In other words, if we're dealing with multi-level complexity of an in-crowd and an out-crowd, and the in-crowd knows the real, artificially engineered moon compared to the natural rock everybody else assumes it to be, if you don't tell them where the new transmitter is broadcasting, they can do anything and nobody will know.
10: Right. Right. It's interesting that, they, that it's glass. I find that really curious, actually. But I, I do sense that, you know, um, if, I, I personally think there's vibration and energy be, be behind the, the architecture of this. And well, maybe that could glass. be
0: one of the reasons why most of the NASA packages, the experiments on Odysseus, that they now mm-hmm. claim they got all kinds of data, 350 megs of data. Those were radio frequency comparison receivers. Like, was somebody concerned if you're going to build a base at the lunar south pole under an ancient dome, are you interested in the electromagnetic properties in the radio range of what that dome will let you transmit or receive in terms of what's called multipath? Or are you trying to limb out what the limits are to how you can transmit data in the future in the radio spectrum and not with lasers, because, of course, lasers and glass do not mix well. No,
10: that's very true, actually. that's <laughs> very interesting. Um, I, but I'm, I'm going to my, stick to my guns. I think that there's a vibration energy behind this, and it may well be in the third dimension. It's projected as glass. Um, but he's held together by energy and vibration of a... Well, we have another question,
0: which is, if this thing mm-hmm. is as ancient as I think it is, meaning it mm-hmm. was built between when the um, uh, moon was brought to the solar system from somewhere else, which Ron and I do agree on, then why was it built? Out of a few. What yeah. was its purpose? Why did Nova Spivak ask me you know, last week, well, what would what will the purpose of a dome be? domes are usually built to shield you from something you know to keep air in to keep radiation out to filter sunlight so you don't fry under ultraviolet you can think of all kinds of usages of a of a simple dome if you make it it, hang on if you make it a smart dome if you make it an mm -hmm. energy construct Mm -hmm. then you might be blurring the lines between a physical matrix required to carry the energy and, right. a, and a higher level energy form, which uses that matrix as a as a means of forming itself and operating in 3D. I don't think we're really that far apart. I just want more data. I want right, more evidence.
10: exactly. Well, if you, if we get better images, I can run it through convolutional networks and we can see what it looks like, but I agree with you on that last point. Well,
0: I will send sure. you the best and- imagery that I'm getting, both from overt and covert sources. And then you'll report back to us what you find when you put them through the AI processing.
10: Sure, absolutely. Excellent. But I do like this idea that maybe, you know, if the moon did come from a, another part of the universe, then this could be the anchor Uh, of either observation or the anchor of the energy that actually moved it across the universe. I mean, I'm really curious about this dome structure now. I want to know what it's all about. (laughs) Well,
0: I'm in total agreement, and we need more data, and I think I know Mm. where I can get some of it. Uh, Let me bring now everybody in. Um, I I want to start with Andrew because, Andrew, you and I are going to do something in the last half hour to kind of lay out a meta-political economic model. So why don't we start now? We've got about four minutes the bottom of the hour and then everybody can uh kind of chime in
5: sure sure uh where do we want to go first my Uh, items here
0: yeah yeah (laughs) well first of all this started because of copperfield's bizarre experiment nova assured me off the air that he is using a technology they're still working on it but it's not on the moon he said categorically it's not activating in your idea of the ancient dome around the moon. It's another model. And he did kind of hint that it may be have something to do with something in space between the Earth and the moon. Because I said to him off air, I said, well, are you, somebody in Singapore and somebody in London and somebody in Taiwan going to be able to look up at the moon and everybody simultaneously see it disappear? And he said, that's what they're trying to do. And then he hinted that it might be a technology, but not on Earth, somewhere between Earth and Moon. And I just wonder, is Novak fully in the loop? And would he have any reason to know any further details? Because his mission is over. He's landed the library. It's sitting there. It'll sit there for a billion years. And uh, he can be very comfortable and happy because he's succeeded now in two archives, where Human Archives recently Have never never gone
5: yeah okay so yeah this is very interesting Richard because what we started to dig up folks is um, there's a bit of a history here about um, using the moon for a number of different reasons um, and all of them are basically commercial and if we go to my uh, really quickly Richard people can look at this as as we speak because it's a really short little ad but it's a little commercial These days we would call it an animatic because it's just like a little animation. And an animatic is usually used to show the client what the commercial will look like when it's shot. So it's usually like still pictures that are put in place where they're almost an animation, but it's rough. And this is an example of it. So this is number five and and the title is Coke wanted to put their logo on the moon. And it's a really short little ad and it's kind of a little bit goofy. It's got, um, well, I think the Apollo um, lunar probe with a little pipe on it, Richard, sure kicking out smoke. It's, it's really kind of cute. But the okay, whole Okay, question... well,
0: we're at the bottom of the hour. Let's hold yeah. this. Yes. My guest this morning, Andrew Curry, is going to teach us that the interest of commercials and commercial entities and commercial exploitation of the moon is not a recent phenomenon. In fact, it turns out to be very, very old, which we'll show you when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. If you touch that dial now, you won't find out the ending. We'll be right back.
4: Com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hudlins and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes.
0: Okay, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are in the Land of Enchantment on the other side of midnight on this Saturday night, now Sunday morning in the Land of Enchantment here in the deserts of New Mexico. My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, look at the, at the logo and they'll all introduce themselves when they come on. They'll say, I'm Ron or I'm, you know, Andrew or I'm whatever. We're looking, I think, at a real benchmark change in history. Because like NASA before them, this mission has given us amazing data, but they haven't given us the amazing truth, what's behind the data. Remember, that model you see in my item number three was created almost 20 years ago, based on Apollo imagery. Flash forward the film 20 years later, a mission to which we have no connection, cameras we have no understanding of. Mission planners that we have never talked to publish data which an AI says has a 70% chance of being identical to what we proposed over 20 years ago. So what's driving all this secrecy? Why? I mean, obviously, intuitive machines cannot possibly claim, unless they admit what we say is there, that there's anything of a national security concern. On the moon, I mean, good grief. So why are and what are they hiding? Or putting it out, in a way, very Emily Dickinson, to where it's there. You can look at it, you can interpret it, but if they don't give you the background data, you can't come up with an appropriate defensible analysis of what the truth is. And is that part of the objective? Or the commercialization the gold rush of the moon
5: andrew yeah thank you mm-hmm. richard well again so my um and this this ties into not only on a our sort of ongoing theme of this sort of commercialization not only of the moon but of the solar system and you know essentially a, a gold mine times a trillion <laughs> out there and we know that that's tied richard with the technology more than Well really hang
0: on. Let me let me let me, let me for everybody. One incredibly obvious commercial thing that this company might lay legal claim if they're publishing data showing the showing the dome. What if they figure out through their next set of missions what's holding up the dome? Suppose it's not pillars made of glass. Suppose it's little pods that are literally tugging upward, as hard as their little hearts can tug, made of some kind of material, a super cavorite, which under the lunar gravity field, like a buoy is trying to reach the surface of an ocean, and it's literally floating, anti-gravity vector pointing up, and all the cabling and all the supports of the dome, either glass or energy and glass or energy, a matrix is basically being suspended by something which if in intuitive machines could find it capsule it send it back to earth deconstruct it in terms of engineering and duplicate it could make them a trillion dollars in their spare time take over the transportation sector of earth make transporting goods everywhere including to gaza as trivial as sending an anti-gravity device anywhere you wanted it without propellers, without fuel, without oversight, without anything. One technology alone, if it's real, and a company like Intuitive Machines could corner the market, could make them own Wall Street. Just one incredible advanced Clark Third Law, impossible to distinguish from magic, technology. And I can write down a list of 50 incredible technical advances that I'm expecting to find in ancient E.T. ruins, not on the moon, but elsewhere in the solar system. And are we looking then at a group of corporations that have known for some time this is going to be the gold rush of all times? Get in while the going is good. Keep your mouth closed. Sign your NDAs. And you are going to make a bloody fortune that you couldn't spend in a hundred lifetimes. Richard, yes.
8: Ron? Uh, could I? Yes, could I toss in a uh, thought here? Perhaps what's necessary to uh, grab that technology is understanding what those fields of energy are, how to find them, and not specifically the technology. In other words, you could give somebody the device you're talking about, and mm-hmm. unless they understood what it was supposed to manipulate, wouldn't be much good. Uh, I cite two visual examples of it that are obviously have technology intended behind them. But two good TV shows. On Firefly, there was an episode where they went where the rich people live, and they were mostly living in floating estates, yes, which were perfectly yes, safe, in mid-air. safely levitating, and that means that whatever was doing it was not requiring constant energy to uh, make it viable but we're simply riding on these fields.
0: You know, well, and the, one of my uh, models is that the fields are created, the, the gateway between dimensions, the hyperdimensional physics, is, is gated by the ge- geometry of the material. If you make the right geometry, the object, instead of being pulled down by Earth's gravity or the Moon's gravity, will try to float. It'll try to get as far away from the Moon as possible, and you could use it as anchors for something to hold up a whole dome suspended from overhead from, from basically yeah. a, 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 a what they call that a, a kind of pulling your boot self up by your own bootstraps, which appears illogical and unscientific because mm-hmm. we don't understand the physics. Yeah. Let me, let me go back to Andrew. So Andrew, if this political economic model and everybody's suddenly pushing lunar economy, lunar economy, lunar economy, there is no lunar economy, Without what we're talking about, zero. There, there is no value in a moon rock on Earth for anybody except for the first few collectors. And in terms of energy and op- and oxygen and hydro and all that, yeah, that's good for inter solar system commerce with rockets. But if Barry One is showing us the new direction, a field propulsion that doesn't need fuel, you're not going to need the moon as a a, a landing place for refueling. So the only value that Andrew and I have been looking at really in depth and in terms of potential shattering implications economically and politically is what's there. The ancient ET knowledge, technologies, libraries, materials, sources of, of, of God knows what. I mean, the, the, there is no limit yet because we don't know the limits of this ancient civilization But if they could build a dome around the moon, they could probably do anything that we would define as magic. Andrew.
5: Well, Richard, before we go, we dive too deeply into that, I wanted to go back to something that um, Matthew said, and I think kind of getting the feeling uh, Rod is feeling the same way, and that is um, this idea that. This and, and, and again I know for lots of people listening and looking at the images, they're still kinda of like scratching their head, you know, Nova's trying to figure it out at the beginning of these shows, Where's the gloss? You know, we have to turn up the, the gain and do the contrast to get it and well I see the forms and patterns. I, I've seen it over and over again after. Well think look you brought, at number
0: ten, look at the reflections, the ripples yeah. in the top of the dome. And when I think um, you can know I, Can I jump in? Go go ahead. Yes
6: if you look at my number nine
0: oh this is you're, zero, you're, zero. okay
6: yeah sorry yeah if you look at my image number nine which is an enhanced um, view of the moon from the Mars Nectaris uh, image you supplied um, you're, so that, that the blue is the proposal for the dome in between the moon which is the yellow is a, is a space okay and um, if that's what we're, we're well, okay, seeing. It looks, it looks,
0: it, so on my image, it looks multicolored.
6: Yeah, so the blue bit's multicolored, right? But then as you get close to the moon, there's a gap.
0: Yeah, and you see this yeah, multicolored, so, multi-prismatic. The the, the the dome has le- le- layers, levels. You can see hmm. it. You can see it in my... Uh, let me scroll up here. Look at my images. Hang on. Let me get to the right one. You go to my image number nine. Look at, and look at eight and nine. It's got tiers. It's got layers. It's got levels. It's, it's banked in, in courses like, like balcony seats at a theater. Mm. It's a very complex geometric structure. I don't think it's energy, Matthew. I love the idea. I think it can be energized. But I think we're looking at just the glass. And when you say to yourself, well, why would it be glass? Glass is the most pervasive material available on the moon, on Earth on Mars, on all solid planets, and in a vacuum, we know from the work at uh, Lawrence Livermore, I forget what laboratory did it, the glass is 20 times stronger than steel. Glass in a vacuum can be made into incredible uh, mechanical stuff. So if you have unlimited energy, unlimited material, and it has all kinds of properties you want, meaning you can see through it, you can make it opaque, you can make it shield radiation, You can design any geometry you want. If you use available material, I would say glass all over the solar system is the material that I would choose to make things of because there's so much of it. And it's so malleable in in, in forms of technology that we haven't even begun to manufacture on on a commercial basis, but have done some work in the lab. Glasses are really interesting in and of themselves.
6: Arthur yeah, Clarke mentions it in his uh, space elevator.
0: Yeah, talk.
6: he talks about using the glass because it won't have any contaminants when it's made in the vacuum.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so much stronger. See, it's mm. it, it's it's the water it gets in the in the in the glass. It's not even a crystal. It's more like a frozen <laughs> solid. And then you can make other kinds of glass. In no, other words, designer mm. glass to go with a designer solar system to go with a designer playpen for human consciousness. To do whatever it's supposed to do Mm. now if you look quickly at my number 11 and 12 when when uh, odysseus landed it kicked up all kinds of crud and they posted these wildly obscure images well you can take them into imaging programs and uh, sort out what's in the front and what's in the back and 11 and 12 is a wide angle of the landing at the moment of landing where the landing legs broke because of the force of the landing and number 12 is an enlargement. And if you look to the left on both, that is material crud flying up, being being coughed up by the engine, but it's also flying in front of a background geometry, which you can see at the horizon there, particularly in number 11 on the on the left-hand side. That's more geometry of the glass. And it's acting like it's getting light from the, setting sun which is only 14 degrees above the horizon greg calculated and it's giving you prismatic refractions through glass i'm not quite sure matthew why an energy pattern would have the same uh, refractive index pattern as good old glass and again in occam's razor if i have t- the two to decide between i'll pick glass over energy because energy requires energy and glass simply requires uh, it persists, and it survived in some form. Even if it's thin, it still will have the optical refractive properties of when it was much thicker and much denser. So that's what I think right. we're seeing is confirmation in those surface images, again, of the model. And if they won't tell us in the next week or two, then I'm really serious about, let's look into a lawsuit to force them as a private corporation, tell us the truth. And the way you do it, I think, remember, they sold their stockholders that they would develop a reliable company which would make a profit and which would provide a service, right? Well, to do that, they have to understand the full environment and make the environment known to their customers so their customers can basically evaluate the probability of investing money that will make the money or investing money in something that will crash. So under a normal corporate disclosure uh, protocol, I think intuitive machines can be forced to tell us the truth because customers demand, should demand the full truth so they can weigh the risks of sending their stuff to the moon on a mission that doesn't acknowledge their problems but we have to keep the problem secret because you can't know. Uh, Richard. Yes,
8: Ron. I see a I see a problem there. Good. In that, remember, uh, remember Kentucky Fried Chicken.
4: I mean, uh, not that yeah, it has gone
8: away, but the yes, the uh, the secret recipe of the what was it, sixteen uh, secret herbs and spices.
0: Well, it even goes back earlier uh, and I want to get back to Andrew. That, Andrew. Well,
8: wait a second. Yeah, what I just said makes no sense unless I get the other half of the sentence out. The point is that when he was finally taken to court, uh or the company was. I mean, he was he was a spokesman for his own company, you know. Uh the um it wasn't even from Kentucky. The uh it turned out it was salt and pepper and the normal things in the kitchen. It was uh, there was absolutely nothing secret or special yeah but there's the a real difference and,
0: and 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 coke earlier i was going to go back to uh andrew's coke uh, commercial coke had a secret yeah. recipe remember coke original oh well they do but but, but this, now, is, but this can... is not this is apples and oranges matthew says he's uncomfortable talking about lawsuits fine you don't have to be part of it i'm i'm the one running this part of the show and i will te- find a lawyer or lawyers to do this as a test because intuitive machines should be able to keep secret any proprietary technology they should not be able well, what to keep, are you... they should not be able to keep secret the environment that they have found
8: what what, what secrets do you want them to reveal the I dome
0: mean, that's the dome that there's a dome well so that's
8: okay uh the barristers will say well that's an opinion
0: you want them to you want them to leak their opinion no i want them it to leak it their doesn't data establish their, i want them to leak the data Look, this is not a magical thingy this is not something that's only seen by some people and not seen by others it's seen by everybody yeah but you're putting
8: just, a, go ahead you're putting overwhelming importance on some data that is uh, and i'm not saying that you're Trepidations are, are misguided or anything, uh, but that's not the kind of stuff that you can bring out with a lawsuit. You just
0: can't. I don't know that, don't, and you d- don't. You're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. You can't. Yeah. Well, no judge
8: will take it. That's what I'm telling you. You don't know you don't that. You don't know it. I don't know until it. You're making we, a good supposition, un- but it's, we that, try. it's not enough to build a case on. You don't know that, and I don't know that. So let's stop. I'd rather here. have them as friends than enemies. Who? They're going to get Who? awfully mad. If Who? They get,
0: uh intuitive machines what they're gonna they, get what, what, what are they, they gonna do to me that. what are they gonna to do to me come to my house
8: well it's not what they're gonna to do to you they're just gonna say i uh, we don't want to have anything to do with this you won't have any public uh display of anything they don't have to
0: yes they do under anything. their nasa contract they do they're the nasa they, does they, no they are a contractor to nasa and vice versa they are covered by the charter look this is why we need real lawyers to sort this out some people get uncomfortable sure. But that's why you have a legal system, to get people to tell you the truth who don't, for whatever reason, want to tell you the truth. Andrew, please. We've got <laughs> 10 minutes left. Gosh.
8: Well, we're on Talk, go. <laughs>
0: well, I, I, Andrew, I, when, when I
7: can bring oh, in ahead, something because uh, the topic of the oh. glass dome, the topic of glass and the moon and secrets goes back in history about 400 years when the first optical telescope made from glass lenses were built together in 1609 and uh, Galileo, yeah, Galileo Galilei. He he used it. He didn't invent the telescope, but he used the invention of the telescope to show what is ongoing on the Moon. He looked at the Moon, and he wanted to prove the Copernican heliocentric worldview model. And he was the the first one who used the new invention of the glass optical lens telescope to prove it. And he was supported by the Roman church first. He was supported by them. Then he presented his uh, observations of the moon through his telescope to the Venetian Senate in 1609, published in 1610 in his book. And then suddenly the Roman church was suing him that, uh, and finally decided that it was officially heretic, what he published, and he should stop that. <laughs> it's an interesting history about uh, secrets, glass I and the so moon. Worthy.
0: Well, the good thing is you don't need to land on the moon to determine the existence of the dome, which means other private missions, other people who can basically get a ride share from Musk and send a spacecraft, a CubeSat, to the moon and put it into orbit, which is doable within the price of a high-end automobile now, less than 100 grand. They could put cameras on and take photographs of this and confirm what's there, regardless of whether these other companies agree or not, don't agree. In other words, nobody owns the moon. Nobody can forbid you to take pictures of it. In fact, we have all kinds of imagery, which I've shown, of talented amateurs from Earth from here on terra firma on opposite sides of the world who are taking pictures from the Earth showing exactly the same thing that we're seeing in the Odyssey. in in the Odysseus imagery. So it's only a matter of time. Somebody is going to be first. Somebody is going to break through. Somebody is going to be able to literally, you know, corner the market in terms of what's there. But in order to do that, they have to know what's there. And that gives them a legal uh, mechanism, I think. And I obviously need to consult with real legal experts. But my understanding of how these torts work is that you cannot claim proprietary material that isn't yours it's in fact part of nature so right. andrew <laughs>
5: well we're going to have to condense this i i i'd like to suggest richard that we have well, another show at some point We're obviously
0: going to pick yeah, this up next saturday we're going to yeah. continue because by next saturday i may have notes back from durst we may have specs on the camera I may be able to get certain people in the press conferences to ask the key questions about the cameras, because frankly, I think they're made deliberately complex so people can't look at them and either understand what they're seeing, or as some tonight have said, well, you can't really support what you're seeing because it all could be lens flare. So they want to keep the ambiguity. That's the way you keep (laughs) secrets anymore. You keep everything ambiguous. It's all fake news. You don't know where to turn who to trust, what process to apply, and so the people hiding things can get away with anything, up to and including murder.
5: However, and I know we're really close to the edge here, um, the moon, which has, again, in your, as Richard would say, copious spare time, have a look at number five when you have a chance, folks. The moon has been used as 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 a concept for a billboard for a long time. What I'm trying to say here is that it's literally, okay, Ambiguity, ambiguity, ambiguity,
8: ambiguity has been
5: – thank you – has been um like a topic of this whole endeavor for us researching it and others. But in advertising, things are very clear. I think Ron was stumbled upon – well, I don't know if he stumbled, but I think he's absolutely correct when he said salt and pepper – Because, listen, I was dealing with a a director I work with a lot. He's um, from L.A., big-time commercial director, and he's in Finland right now shooting a a Citroën French car commercial. And he was grumbling away on Skype, and he said to me, you can't trust a country that has only Pepsi available. (laughs) <laughs> because he's a Coke drinker. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, the clarity is going to come from the advertising and, and what we do. And um, I, I know we're so close, but I want to share one quick, really real story. In 1999, there was an, a Coca-Cola executive named Steve Coonan who proposed the idea to turn the moon literally into a billboard by tra- projecting lasers on the surface of the moon and at the time from the earth uh, from the earth from the earth jim jim Gar, i think um, richard jim garvin he was the um chief scientist at nasa's goddard space flight center he said it's actually possible but probably improbable and he said we were probably about 10 years away and he said what they could do is scientists at the time could bounce lasers off the moon. And illuminate. Well, oh, at, at the time, they could bounce lasers off the moon and illuminate only the something the size of a golf. Or I'm sorry, a tennis ball. He says in order to have an advertisement be seen by people on Earth, the laser light would the laser light would need to cover an area about the land size, about half the land size of Africa. So that was 99. Now this kind of ties the bow, at least for the concepts around Copperfield. If he's not indeed using something on the moon. Maybe he's figured out something to be able to project on the moon. So anyways, there's a lot more involved. Um, um, there's a lot of interesting things. Nova touched on it when he said there's a lot of stuff that was deposited with Odysseus, including Richard. A, two artists who specialized in metallic, metal, transparent artwork. <laughs> Talk about messaging, and I, I would have loved to have gone into it tonight, but Ooh. maybe we could do it another time. Well, so there's a it. We, lot will,
0: of- we will do another show on this next Saturday you know, everybody's got their markers down and we will know a lot more from the mission. Who who knows what we're going to see?
5: Yeah, and, and the messaging is so clear. Like, I, I really could have uh, would love to talk, about, talk about these artists who were basically having a bitch slap with each other about who gets there first, excuse my language. But um, it's very, very interesting because associated with these artists are NFTs. So everything with these artists is about guys, well, at this point, two guys that are really pricey in their artwork, and who are going to make a lot of money, they claim, for charity, etc. A lot of marketeering going on, Richard, a lot of messaging going on, and a lot of it has to do with transparency and reflection.
0: Yep. Okay, we've got about three minutes. Um, Matthew.
10: Hello.
0: Yeah, you know, thoughts.
10: I think it, I, 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 I think first of all is that the, the, the work you've done, that you did with the dome in the 90s, obviously that, that looks like there's some kind of similarity with the energy that we're seeing. So my thoughts are, it, I'm really curious, and you know, humanity is just starting to uncover the mysteries of the universe, and maybe we're starting to uncover the first one that's tangible.
0: If I can get you a set of imagery, and we have a have a kind of a paper trail, a kind of a you know, chain of custody for the evidence. And you put it through whatever ai programs you're using and i would use different ones to see if each program agrees with the other that kind of thing it should be able to move us in the direction of more certainty as to what we're looking at because i just don't don't understand why everybody with such overwhelming evidence going all the way back to 1946 and project diana which bounced radar at uhf tv frequencies off the moon and had a delayed echo show with Joseph Farrell last week, the echo, obviously, is the energy, the radio waves rattling around in the dome. And that's why NASA put on this mission a set of receivers to look at all different wave bands to see which wavelengths are interfered with and which are clear, obviously, in preparation for trying to do a lunar base under a dome, which is much thicker than at the Apollo areas. Okay, basically, no more time. I want to thank all my guests this morning, one and all. Uh, It's been really amazing what we've figured out in our groping, human-level way. We will continue this conversation uh, next uh, Saturday. Tomorrow night, we're going radically different. We're going back to England to Stonehenge and the cockamamie, idiotic British plan To use bulldozers to build a three-mile-long tunnel under Stonehenge, which if they do it, it will destroy it. So join Maria Wheatley and others, and we'll talk about that tomorrow night. So until then, remember, same time, same bat channel, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. Keep looking at the moon.